So I wanted to do a little short intro today. Um, I'm about one hour away from recording with Mark Winokur and Mike Major. Um, it's going to be a legit podcast. Um, no BS. Um, maybe I'll try not to swear. No IT. Uh, no Jeopardy um, at the end. Um, maybe we'll make this podcast legit this year. See what, see see where we can take it. Nah, no, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, no, I wanted to do a little quick intro because I didn't do like one of those thank you threads online, but like they're like, it was a good year this year. It was fun and somewhat successful. I'd say made money. That's good. Spent too much time on it. So got to cut down on these drafts. I don't know. I'm in four right now, but you know what? You got to do these drafts early because I have access to ADP because I've been in like all the drafts so far. So not everyone has that. So having ADP when other people don't, that's a huge edge. So you got to exploit that while you can. So I'll slow down soon. I will. But um, first of all, thank you to um, Graham Shrimpo. Um, basically, um, you made me a lot better of a player this year. We talked through like almost every pick. We're still doing it again. I'm probably bugging this shit. We talked through multiple. We talked through multiple picks in all the slow drafts we did back in October, November, December last year through crying babies at home. And um, we we took the time to help out each other. So I think we both became good players. So thank you for for him. Thank you, Dan, Brian, Aaron, and all the guests. You guys are sharp players. Um, you're witty, and you're good players. And you, you made something that I really enjoy more fun um, with all the characters that we developed on this podcast. So I think that's important. Um, Gialdi, Casey, the Casey Moose, Fish, DuPont, Ryan, Financial, um, with the amazing wrists. Um Thanks. Uh, bouncing shit off you guys have been, has been invaluable lately, and we uh, and we become good friends. So I think that's uh, really important. I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make some noise next year for sure because we really started talking a lot more so at the end of last year or the end of the the twenty twenty two this season. But yeah, Phil, buddy, um, like uh, appreciate all our back and forth and picking your brain. You're the man, and you're also your health's pretty fucking funny too. So. I'm glad that we talk. And Mark Winoker, who's going to be like, same thing, become good friends with Mark. I got to we got to meet uh, back in March. Excited to see you again. Um, we'll talk tonight. Um, War Dog, my boy. We'll be seeing you next March. Um, Mark Cerebro, listen to everything that you have to say. Got some pretty decent nuggets that um, that you'll uh, let me in on. So when you're not fucking giving anyone the runaround when you actually say something legitimate I'm, I'm listening Derek butcher you know you're the man you you feed my addiction buddy Mike the mouth forcing me to get in the NFPC realm but sorry to tell you buddy students become the teacher take notes I know you don't listen to that I know you're not listening to this anyways since Mike the mouth actually said he's going to listen to this episode because he likes Mike and Mark so much I do have to add something in here after the fact and say that I hope Mike never stops drafting. He is a legend in the NFBC and earned the Godfather nickname. And if you've ever been in one of those slow drafts with him that he calls the Mike in the Mouth fast drafts or slow drafts or whatever he calls it, sometimes he calls it the idiot draft. It's hard to tell which draft he's referring to because we're in so many together. But honestly, great guy and great drafter and a great player and happy I met him. DiPietro, pull hitter, buddy. You're a good boy, smart man, good drafter. Baba Toby, 
putting out the podcast. You also one of the first people that got me into this and um, like the higher stakes realm and wanting to become a better player. Now you're doing it with Bloomfield, which is good. Bubba and, Bubba and Bloomfield's got a pod. So that's also really good. On the same token, Jeff's got James at Rotowire putting out a lot of good info. So got to give you guys a shout out here too. Zimdog, you're the man. You're a genius. Minding the news, unblock me. Like legit, respect you. But tell me what tell me what I need to do for you to unblock me. Like what ticked you off? And I'll stop it. I swear. Um, while I'm at it, Tanner Bell and also Rudy Gamble. Great materials you guys are producing for fantasy winnings. You guys have fake names, but again, great materials. But other people, I gotta give a quick shout out to Vlad, Maddie Modica, Silver. Andrew Geller, Guilds, Dave and Jake. Actually, Guilds, Dave and Jake, you got to list them all together. Um, they're all they're all good and they're all friends. Um, I think they're part of a crew together. Um, Johnny L, Maddie Davis, Curland, you piece of shit. Simeone, all the reliever recon boys. Knutson, Maddie Davis, Bobby Big Bucks. Um, Steve Weimer, Slack, Sackett. Don't really, we don't really talk that often, but... Um, Thanks for drafting and letting me obsess over your draft methods from afar and just creeping on your drafts because uh, that's been helpful. Um, all the guys that are like um, that like the podcast and and interact and and just get get our sense of humor. Dane Blazer, Jar Jar, Jingo Unchained, Ben from Detroit, Reggie, all you boys, love you all. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and um, just wanted to give some shout outs. I don't know, just felt like it. So, anyways, enjoy the pod with uh, Mark and Mike. Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast. I'm here with two amazing guests and good friends, Mark Winoker and Mike Major. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, no, Major, actually. Oh, man. We got Mark right. I did like a little, like, hey, I, I did like a little intro to this, and I, I, I called you Major, damn it. That's okay. 50% for us is pretty good. All right, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, as Bjorn said, it was Mark Winker and Mike Major, so you got so oh, one of those. Was he, uh, yeah, was, he, was he promoting this uh, podcast? Uh, I did see a, a Bjorn tweet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't, I, I didn't even know. <laughs> um, so, give you guys a little intro. So, Mark, you know, I've t- you and I talk all the time. I actually did a little introduction before we we started talking, just sort of like, you know, giving a couple shout outs. And you're one of those guys, and we talk a lot. And um, so you you have a 38 percent cash rate in the NFBC. You've done 132 leagues, 20 25 victories. You are four times in a row, Mike the Mouth. Midnight Madness champion in the 12. It's a 12 team league. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, multiple main event wins. It's sort of hard to tell with you because you do a lot, you, you partner a lot. So it's hard to tell. Just you can't look at your history. Same with you, Mike, because you guys partner together a lot. I don't know who else you partner with, but um, it's hard to like look at it and give you give like a full synopsis of what you have. But like, Mike, you can't, you've cashed in at least 28 draft champions leagues and you, you have at least 16 wins, including five of 11 this year. Um, you have at least five main event titles that I can see. You might have more. Um, and you've won in cash in three supers and ultimates. And in terms of like the overall, sorry if this is a, a soft spot for you because you were second overall this year in the DC. Um, second overall in the main event before, I think 2016. Second in the on, on the auction championship. Third in the main event overall in 2015. Fourth in the, on, in the auction championship in 2019. And fourth in the draft champions in 20, 
18, I think. So, man. Sounds about right. Uh, it's good and bad. Painful at times. <laughs> you know what? Like, it's, it obviously sucks to like, come that close and lose. But um, yeah, I, I don't think, like, regardless of the outcome, like, um, I, think I, said, I said this to Scott Jenstead when he didn't win the main event this year. Uh, regardless of the outcome, I don't think people can respect you any more than they do. I think you earned that, you've earned that for your peers. So, I don't think it's it's money that's what it is but like i think you've proven what you wanted to prove and um like man when when i see somebody named mike almost take down a pair of overalls it's such a tease <laughs> if, it's, yeah. if it's mike it's, uh... if, it's, if it's mike major or mike ajedo either one any mike <laughs> Anyway, it's it's a no, my, it's a tease yeah. and yeah. i don't know anyways that, that's my introduction for you guys um what i did want to start by asking you guys is how is it to partner with people and i've done it this year it's tough so i know you guys partner in a lot of leagues so you know, talk about like why it works for you guys yeah, let me just say so sure. a couple things yeah yeah a couple things so just uh, thanks for very nice introductions uh great to be here with you and of course with mike um yeah you know there's there's some there's some documentation uh, challenges with the NFPC. Um, some partners get um, credited as partners for like some of these main event wins. Uh, for Mike and I, it's whoever it was the lead, you know, the, uh, the, the purchaser of the league. So we now have two main events uh, titles together, one under his name, one under uh, mine. So Mike now actually has six, right? Six, Mike, would that be six for you? Still five, I think. Still five, still five with the one we had this year. Um, so it's weird, you know, like Slack and Sackett, you know, they, you know, it's 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 those two together. Um, so I don't know, we've reached out to Greg and it hasn't yet gotten resolved, but we hope maybe one day to resolve it. Because I think teams should be treated a little bit differently, um, you know, in kind of the record keeping. Um, yeah, Mike, Mike's a Hall of Famer in my book. Uh, he, you know, really that overall and it's a lock uh, and he'll get his overall. Uh, he's, you know, you know, I heard your pod with the gills and, you know, he's knocking on the door so many times. Mike's going to get there. Uh, tremendous player. Um, that's why we, that's why we're I'm partnering with him. You know, um, just uh, I was, a you know, an admirer from afar of his track record. You know, he was very active on the boards back when that was a thing. And I'm like, I got to get with this guy, uh, you know, even though he's a Yankee fan. Um, <laughs> and uh so partnering with him is uh, is really incredible. Actually, Zach, you and I partner on a football league. So I feel I feel honored that you actually uh, agreed to do that since you're you know, partnering. I feel honored uh, that you would agree to do it with me. But um, you um, you basically carried that team. You carried no, that team. No. Jamar Jamar Chase uh, Jamar Chase picked won it for us. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked it. So that that basically football is such a game of. Um, it's so binary in terms of like one player can make or break you. And that, yeah. that made us. I thought you were a good partner though. Um, you know, I thought we had a good vibe together. Um, and, you know, I thought we were both able to kind of offer ideas. And, and I think that's what a good partnership is. You know, um, you know, a lot of people who play this game are alphas, you know, they want to make the decisions, you know, they, um, you know, want to be right about everything. And, I think for Mike and I, we really do keep the egos at the door. Um, it takes years, though. This is uh, what I think our fifth year of partnering, Mike, and it's um, right. 
it takes a long time to get into that real groove where you can like communicate in shorthand a little bit, although Mike's an attorney and I, he's probably the fastest typist ever. Uh, the emails and texts I get from him, the length are, it's incredibly impressive. And then I'll give him like a one, like a, like a one sentence rejoinder. And he's probably like, oh, great. Like, what he's like, mean? he's like the girlfriend. You're like the boyfriend. You get a big long text and you're just like, okay. <laughs> um, um, his are great though, because he literally does lay out all of his thinking. Um, you know, uh, it's a little overwhelming sometimes because it's on my phone. It's like, oh my God, how am I going to read this? Uh, but you know, he's amazing, is an amazing analytical thinker. He, he, he looks at all the different angles and, um, we don't, we don't miss much as a team, which I think is a huge thing. You know, I think our process is very simpatico. You know, I think you need to have a process. I have some great other partners, Andy Saxton, you know, uh, in baseball, Greg Crawford in football, you know, with those guys, honestly, I have different processes. And I think sometimes that creates a little bit of friction. Uh, Mike and I have a very similar process. And I think process is the key to a good partnership. If you have different ways of doing it, it, it makes it really hard. You can have different opinions, different ways of thinking about players. And we do, but the process has to be aligned. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think for both of us, yeah, the money is definitely a factor and is nice, but we're in it for the wins, you know, uh, for the title. So I think we have the same kind of motivation uh, uh, as partners. Okay. Mike. Yeah. And uh, you say thanks nice, for now, all now, that. Now you, now you say nice things about Mark. Oh, I was going to say nice things about you, but that's fine. Um, no, thanks for the introduction. And, and yeah, no, I mean, uh, Mark captured a lot of it. Um, I mean, honestly, it, it's, it's fun. I, I think, um, yeah, we each have our solo teams. I, I draft solo in New York city and I also do a number of solo leagues online and in Vegas. Um, but it's really nice, um, to share some teams. I think one of the things that, um, it's particularly nice is, I mean, it, it's, uh, the NFBC is very much a community, but when you're owning and managing teams, it's very much a solo endeavor. And sometimes it's nice to have someone else in the world who gives a crap about a team of yours. Um, you know, so we we ride the highs and the lows uh, together. We bitch and moan or uh, or keep each other sane um, at times. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And we also, you know, we, we rein each other in at times and, we also, you know, are constantly checking up on each other, and and um, you know, I think it it helps both our shared teams. I also think it 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 helps our um, our solo teams. You know, uh, Mark will you know will let me know if I'm too high or too low on a certain player in one of our leagues, and that might impact my thinking in other leagues. So um, yeah, I mean, I think we have this uh, very similar process and. It's worked well, and he's become a great friend, and uh, it's enjoyable. Yeah, no, for me, like I think, I think that's that's great. You hit it because it helps. It does help you in your other leagues. Um, uh, I've I've partnered with people, and and that does help. But just for me, the volume that I do, I, it just it it's too time consuming. Like yeah. doing fab for one of the partner leagues is like five times as long as a, a, a regular a regular league, and it just becomes sort of unfeasible for me. Um, to partner with someone not that it's like not possible if i cut down the leagues but it's just it's it's good and bad but i i think it's good to have people that you you um run ideas by and i have a couple people that i that i talk to about fab and we we go back and forth um on saturday or sunday and that's valuable but like of course anything that they say to me i won't say to anyone else because 
Like, say I talk to Phil about something or I talk to you, I won't say what you tell me to Phil or what vice versa. Even if you guys, I don't think you guys are in any of the same leagues, but like that, that's just an example. That's, but that, I think it is helpful because you do miss things yourself. It's, there's so much to, there's so much to look at. Yeah. I, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, I mentioned process, you know, we have a different off season process, you know, Mike, uh, Mike does these incredible deep dives where he goes into, you know, 500 page word document that I get, um, about every player, uh, that's, that's really draftable. And, um, I do, I do more of the projections for us. So I kind of handle the projections. He handles the deep dives. And then, you know, I think we're still working on how to best integrate the two. I think we've gotten a lot better, but I think we occasionally lean too far in, in, in one direction. And, you know, we're trying to kind of get that to where we're, we're really marrying the two together. So, um, we're not missing, you know, we're not missing out on a player. We're not fading someone that we should, we should be targeting. So we have a little, you know, off season, different process. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the caring about someone else's team, the having a friendship from this, I mean, I'll, you know, listen, as we get older, it gets harder and harder to make friends. It really does. And um, I think this hobby is where I get have most of my friends now. And um, I think that's a really good thing. Um, you know, we've, Oh, and the other point is what you were saying, Zach. So we actually cut down our shared teams from five last year to two this year. And that made a big difference uh, because you're right. The, the fab takes twice as long and more. more. We, yeah. Yeah. And we just wanted to focus on the two teams. And I think it made a big difference. I mean, we averaged like 107, you know, or something like that with the two teams combined, you know, came down to the last day. Uh, you know, one won the other one. We just missed, uh, you know, missed out uh, in fourth place in the auction championship. But I think we did a better job this year of uh, with fab and lineups um, and even prep, just having two leagues. So we're talking about the same two next year. Maybe we'll add a third. We'll see how it goes. But I think that made a big difference um, uh, limiting it. Because I think you're right. The the communication part, the fab piece, does take a lot. Mike has, you know, has another a lot of high stakes leagues he has to attend to. So I think that worked better for us this year. Right on. Um, yeah, just to close off uh, the point you alluded to before, Mark, is um, just, yeah, looking at what this, this, this afternoon, looking at what Mike's done. Um, I'm new to this, but I think it's pretty obvious he's Hall of Fame, like already. So, like, regardless of taking down a hall, uh, an overall, which will happen, but I, it's pretty, pretty impressive. But well, I asked a question in the last podcast. I had Guilds and Bobby Big Bucks on there, and, and uh, we were looking at the 80th percentile, and I don't really think that's, like, the best thing to look at, but it, but it is something that's it's directional. And I was looking at the 12 team leagues and the 15 teams. I know Mark, you play the 12s because obviously the Mike, the mouth, Mike, do you, do you play any 12s anymore? Very little. I, I did one 750 OC this past year. Um, I think that was my first OC in a number of years. Oh, so it's okay. So that's, that's good enough. So, and I know that you, you're definitely um, have the, um, the skills to answer this question or, or try to at least. Um, 80th percentile in the OCs this past year for saves was 72. Main events was 67. So there's only a five save difference. Yet, like we, like, or so I think, or maybe I'm wrong on this, we aim for three relief pitchers in 12s and two in 15s in general. Um, but there's only, you, you only need five more saves in the 12s. So why are we drafting a whole additional closer in the 12s? 
And if we are, are we even right to do that? Do you have any thoughts on this? Because my my thought was maybe you you carry more pitchers on the bench in a twelve because you got to mix, mix and match more, and you just gotta you gotta really have better ratios. But you gotta I don't know you gotta yeah, have. No, I, go ahead, go ahead. I, I I think it's it's the right approach. I think I would always take three star. I mean, again, there's there's thirty teams, so in a fifteen team league, everyone's gonna get two if it works out evenly. But obviously, there's many unsettled positions. So there's maybe only 15 to 20 clear-cut closers. So in um, in, a, in a 12-teamer, if you can grab a third, um, I think I think it's the right move to do so. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to start all three. I mean, all the, all the targets are higher for a 12, so you need more wins and more Ks. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that you start all three, but so in a main event, if you draft two and then one month in, you you lose one due to injury or they lose their role, you're playing uh, fab with a bunch of other teams spending a lot of money. But in an OC, if you know if, if it works out, twelve teams, so there's two and a half closers per team. If you can grab that third closer, even if you don't necessarily start them all the time, but you have them on your bench, when you when if and when you lose a closer, then you um, you already have one. Uh, it's so it, you don't have to play fab as as um, as aggressively or as desperately as you might otherwise would. Um, so I think I think it's the right move to to grab a third closer if you can. I, obviously, I think the you know, you don't necessarily want to use a high draft capital to get the third, but um, I think it's the right move to grab one if you can. Mark. Yeah. So yeah, this is a good question, Zach. You got me thinking. Um, Couple reasons why I think it's only a five save differential in that 80th percentile between the mains and the OCs. For one, I think the and this this is until this year, so I want to talk about that a little bit because in past years, because only two out of 12 teams cash in an OC, you would see a lot more teams giving up mid-season. Um, and not being nearly as attentive. So that's mm. there's two effects of that. One is they're just not paying as much attention. They're not putting their closers out as much or changing their lineups as often. And I think that just puts a puts a cap a little bit on the number of saves that it takes to get the 80th percentile. Secondly, it would also you know yield a lot of options for uh, different strategies. So. Um, I, in in the in the MTM, I basically punted saves. I saw, I, just, I saw that. I saw that. I went Kimbrel in the nineteenth, Trevino in the twentieth. That's a punt. Um, but in past MTMs, um, I was able to just. I remember a couple of years where I would just leave closures on the wire in like July and August because I had too many. Like I'm just, I'm like, ah, eh, I'll leave them there and I'll get them next week. That did not happen this year, and I saw a major difference in the twelves this year. I did. I did one with Bruce Cagle and I, and I did one in the MTM and uh, people do not quit anymore. People were in it the entire season and um, it was incredibly more difficult to get saves. I basically almost blew this lead, uh, this league by not, not grabbing saves. So my, it was a major miscalculation. I should have realized because the, it was a much better field this year uh, of, of players in the MTM, a lot of really, young, good, uh, aggressive players. And I should have realized that. And that should I should have changed my strategy, but I didn't. 
I just, you know, I was lucky to survive with as few saves as I got. Um, so I, th I think part of the reason for the, for the, for the gap, you know, the smaller gap is that it's not like a main event where people are pushing saves, pushing saves. That's all you ever hear on Twitter, save, save, saves. And that raises that a little bit. So, um, you know, again, you need two and a half closers. I think if you come out with two really good ones and you could pick up a third, you know, decent one later, you're fine. Um, it's hard in a 12 team, or I think to draft three closers with, you know, with any kind of draft capital. Um, I think you have to focus, you know, it, there's a lot more upside you have to be looking for starting pitching and hitting. So I typically won't do that. Uh, but then again, I had my worst year ever in saves this year. So I have to kind of reevaluate my, my general strategy. Would you take a third, would you take a third one, like in round 25 to 30? Or yeah, like I did. I did. Amazingly, I took. The amazing Alex Colomay in the twenty-fourth <laughs> round, um, and that was so stupid because there was already whispers that it was going to be barred. I'm here in Colorado; I should know better, and I should have just taken barred. And then on the wire, like in week two, when it looked like it was going to be him, I let Bovier get him for eighteen dollars unopposed. So I, that that had me mad for about three months this year that I that I blew the Bard column A um, decision because I knew better and I, I just screwed it up. Yep, Graham. Uh, that's one of the good benefits of partnering with uh, partnering with someone and talking to someone. We would have he would have talked. We would have talked anyways. But Graham was all over Bard, so that helped me a lot. Um, some that's something that I probably wouldn't have noticed myself, and I got him in a couple leagues. But um, so you're saying this is probably the hardest MTM victory in the last four. Yeah, this was absolutely the hardest. I did not think I was going to win this. You know, Mike can attest to that. You know, I basically told him the entire year I wasn't winning. There's no way I was winning. And then Tuesday night, I said, um, I think I'm in the lead uh, here. <laughs> so I only led for two days. Uh, again, it was a super aggressive league. Guys were down to the wire bidding, you know, and, you know, I don't know if they were I, I jokingly asked you if there were side bets, Zach, because I couldn't believe how much people were still playing at the end when, you know, they were, you know, they were definitely out of the money. But um, it obviously makes it sweeter. I, I just want to say, so four in a row of that, first of all, it, it, it made Masato's head explode, which is awesome. And, <laughs> uh, I have to think of my entry uh, next year, how I'm going to enter the room and kind of what, what that's all going to be like. Uh, but so it's definitely a good accomplishment. You know, I heard the guilds uh, on your pod talking about, uh, you know, what's the best ever, you know, accomplishment in NFBC. Um, you know, the Lindy, obviously amazing. Uh, <laughs> Phil season last year will never be top. Just unbelievable. The guilds, three years in a row, top five overall in the OC with the win. But actually, I was just doing a little research for this pod. And I think the best, and I think Mike's going to agree, the best individual performance in the NFBC is Sean Johnson, who has now won the diamond auction four straight years. He's a four peat in the diamond auction. That's $300,000 over the last four years. And he's, oh, and he's up against the best possible competition. Um, I thought you were. Uh, gonna say, I thought you were. I thought you were going in the direction of saying that your four peat was the hell best. No, you know I wasn't doing that. That's, <laughs> that's not, why, that's that's why I was laughing. No, no, that's, no, actually, that's, that's also. That's also. No, that that is very impressive. But um, well, I, I, was not, I was not saying me. No, you know that. Yeah, I thought you were. Um, I thought you were uh, tongue in cheek saying you. But go, 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 go ahead, Mike. 
I was just going to say, as one of uh, Sean Johnson's many victims, I can attest that he is, without question, one of the very best uh, playing the NFBC, and he um, is overdue to be in the Hall of Fame. If anyone deserves it, it's him. When uh, I was in New York, player. when I was in New York for football, I was talking to um, Mark Cerebro and Glenn Schroeder after the drafts, and um, we were talking about Sean Johnson, and we were talking about what he does. And um, I gotta, I gotta take a look under the hood a little bit closer. And um, I know we're all auction players, and um, we'll get into that. But um, no, so that, that, that's I, I a good just, point. I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't go back and look at old teams again. And honestly, this year with the uh, the pain of coming so close again and overall and missing, I just, I'm like not even looking backwards. I'm just looking forward. Start drafting immediately. I'm I'm focused on 2023, but I. I remember in the diamond auction in which I was in and Sean won again, um, this was Vegas was the first uh, big drafts. They reversed the order between Vegas and New York City yeah. this year. And um, so I just the one thing I remember is he bid $37 on the Grom, who was healthy at the time, and he lost the Grom until August, and he still kicked our ass. And uh, it just, uh, just shows you what a great player he is. It's yeah. Sometimes on the surface, when you look at the team after the draft and even like looking back, okay. Yeah. He had five players that busted or he had DeGrom who busted. It's, it's very, it doesn't tell the story of like how to win. And we're going to get to that because even looking at when we, we did the auction together in Vegas, like the smaller one, the hundred, the $1,500 one. Um, Stadlemeter, Stadlemeter, how do I pronounce it? That's, yeah, yeah Todd, Todd Stottlemyre. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he, like, we, I looked at his draft after the, after the, we'll get into this later. I don't want to spoil it, but like, wasn't that, like, it didn't look that good to me. Like, he, any, any, any cream the league. Uh, so, and I don't know, we'll, we'll get into that later. But yeah, it's, it's very deceiving to looking at a draft at face value. But um, I think that's a great point, Zach. I mean, there's so much nuance that goes in. I just, yeah, I just looked at Sean's team and I, I checked out Sean's team, Mike and that Diamond. And, I how do you look at that? Can I would you, not have look... loved that. I would not have loved that team coming out. And I actually looked at his fab pickups. This wasn't like a Bobby Big Box where he got you know, where he got Wright and uh, and Anderson and Strider. Like he did, he had some good pickups, but it wasn't like at that level. And you know, this is the nosebleed of the nosebleed leagues. And and this guy, you know, it's it's same, just... same with Stottlemyre, um in our league. He's um I know I'm, I know I'm pronouncing well, that wrong, I think but but he like I, he, he only fab he had Ross stripling as a good fab pickup and nothing else yeah I mean I think it's just a indication of when when you get stats or Sean Johnson or Mark Cerebro or or John Bosmore any of the really great players they can they can find a way to win even when uh, things don't go exactly as they as they want them to go 100 percent agree counterpoint to that and maybe I'm just missing something like let's look at our auction Stadlemuir, or keep pronouncing it wrong. How do I say it? You can call them stats. Everyone calls stats. them stats. Okay, stats. Sorry. Um, he, I'm looking. He, like I looked. I looked through the fab in our league. Strip. He picked up Ross Stripling, which was helpful. But in his draft, he drafted Anthony Rendon, Joey Gallo, Austin Meadows, O'Neill Cruz, Mitch Garver, Loriano as starters. Like what's going on here? And and his get his fab like he, he got like Ramon Urias on fab like like he didn't have a big splash yet he won that league pretty handily. I just I have to look at it because maybe he just 
maybe it comes down to like being familiar with the format, like main events different than these super high stakes one, because I know that pitching becomes more expensive and more hoarded in the higher stakes. So maybe just knowing what format and knowing sort of what positions and stats you need to target to sort of be at like um, treading water and then anything else is gravy. I don't know. I'm just sort of spitballing here. What do you guys think? I don't, I don't remember enough about the details of the transactions from that league to tell you, but uh, all I know is I, I think he was up towards the top almost the entire season. Yeah. He finished yeah. that. Remember, remember he finished that auction in like an hour and he's like done. And we were all like auctioning for another, maybe four, <laughs> maybe, maybe an hour, but maybe two hours, but he was, yeah. he was, first, he was first one done by a mile. Oh, he also had Ben Intendi, which I guess, I don't know. Bought Ben Intendi for 13 bucks. Yeah, he had a good balanced team. He had 62 pitching points, 54 hitting points. Um, you know, I think, you know, he had a couple of guys that Mike and I had on our main event uh, winning team, uh, Bassett and Valdez, that, that, that yep. cost him 23 bucks. Luis Garcia, Manoa for 15. Luis Castillo ended up being, you know, a great buy after he got traded. Um, Severina, I don't know about Severina. Soto for 10, you know, for, for saves is good. I think yep. he got something out of Bednar. So I think his pitching, because he only spent 24, 34, 34, 34, 87 on pitching. So that's interesting because that's, you know, me and Mike were up over 100, I think, on most of our teams. And but for, for the for the for the hitting dollars, he didn't really get his biggest buy was uh, Kyle Tucker. Yeah. I mean, these guys just know how to set their lineups. They know how to attack the categories. They know how to make those little micro moves during the year. And um, yeah, you look up and they're and they're and they're winning the league. Um, it's well, this was a this was a very competitive league with um, I don't know five or six teams that were pretty strong. So no one no one really ran away with it. So you know the winning team may not look you know so great on paper, but uh, he was better than the other fourteen teams. Yeah, there's a lot of parity in this league. Um, That's a fair you're... point. I mean, four teams over a hundred. You know that that usually tells you that yeah, um, you don't need a mo- you know you don't need a monster to win that. You just need you know you just need a, a good team. And um, you know uh, t- he was tenth overall. That was the highest overall, which isn't you know usually you have a t- you know a team that's higher up in these ACs. You know who who win the league. So um, yeah, it was definitely a tough league here. Um, looking at your team here. Um, yeah, you got like, um, yeah, you, you don't have to hit on a, a lot of the picks. I mean, I, I don't, I just have the auction board pulled up. Did he hit on anything like in the reserve rounds? Can you, That's see a that? great, you know what? That is such a good question. And let me look here because I think actually that is super underrated, Zach, that you just said that. Uh, because I think. That's where like the Nestor Cortezes and stuff were going. And I think those are like the league winners. Like Mike and I in this auction, the 30th round, uh, picked Nicholas and we dropped him after like two weeks. And that mm. cost us the league for sure. I don't know if we beat, beat John, but we're, we're in the money if we don't do that. So um, I'm just trying to pull that up now because that is uh, very under, I think it's an underrated part of the auction that we don't talk about is that reserve round. And right. I think that typically, so let's see here. So John in the reserve round, Luis Arias, Adrian Hauser, uh, Tapia, Hunter Dozier. So yeah, not, no one really like super great. 
Um, yeah, Mike and I got Wisdom, Taiwan Walker, who I think we also dropped, uh, Nicholas Finnegan. Yeah, so we had, we actually had a good reserve round there, Mike. We just didn't keep the guys. I, yeah, I think I picked up Taiwan Walker in that league, or maybe it was a different one. I don't no, know. no, did we have Walker in that one, Mike, or was that in the main where we, where we picked him up? I, I don't remember. Mike's already on to 2023. He does not like to look back. I can attest to that. You know, yeah. like he's leaving any postmortems to me. He just does not. And even if he had won the overall, I think he'd be the same exact way. He's just ready to move forward. And um, I'm the one who likes to go back, check out the old boards. You know, what did I do wrong? What could I do better? So um, I definitely do that. All right. So let's um, let's uh, move on from this and talk about Fab a little bit in maybe just both the OC and the main events. Like, like Mark, it looks like you, you blew some money on Josh Lowe. <laughs> and I talked to Guilds. He did the same thing, I believe. He spent like half of his budget the first week. And I think it was Josh Lowe and Andrew Vaughn that he spent his money on. Um, so is it worth taking one big swing at the fences, like especially in 12s? Because in this league, in, the, in our auction league, you guys did the same thing too. So you were you were in on low as well in both leagues, which didn't didn't end up work, didn't didn't end up working out. But yeah, that's so that's counter to how Mike and I usually play. Um, you know, we are definitely. I, I figured that. There. Um, the thing we changed this year, and you know, I kind of instigated it a little bit was, I and I think this is one advantage, frankly, of looking looking back a little bit. I look back after last year and I realized I was wasting about $300 in fab per team on the guys from like three to $30. Um, and that's where all those extra fab dollars went. You bid 12 instead of two, you build, you bid 29 instead of nine, you know? And I said, you know what, how about this year, if we, if we're ambivalent, let's just go one or two dollars. And you know, so many times Mike would do the first pass and I go back in two, 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 two. And what I said is if we do that, that gives us the that gives us that amount for one big swing, right? So that was my rationale is if we do that, we could take the one big swing. Well, right. It worked. It it worked, and I think we had much fewer overpays. I'll have to go back, Mike, because I, I think I spent a, I sent him a spreadsheet last year with the with the overpays. I think we did much better not overpaying. The problem was we totally whiffed on the big swing. Um, we got way too enamored with low. We should have realized his hit tool was crap and it was just an awful decision. And really, um, it really cost us. And, um, you know, then it kind of makes you gun shy after that. Like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that again. And then you miss out on a Vinny P, although we did, we did, we did muster up the courage to get him in the main and he was a big reason uh, we won. He had a homer that last day, I think, and uh, that that was that was the that was the difference know. for us. So, um, and I, I don't know. I'll, I'll pass the mic, but I don't know if the twelve or fifteen makes a difference. I think money goes further in the twelves. Um, so I think you could afford it a little more. Um, but the fifteens are more competitive, so you might have to do it in the fifteens to get a guy. Where in the twelves, you know, I think you you don't have to necessarily bid as high uh, uh, to get it. You know, the, the one thing it does, though, if you if you make that big buy, it forces you later to just make a lot of small buys. And I think that's that yeah, in the that's MTM. True. That's where I won that league. I picked up Lodolo, Lauer, Elder, Ober, Smiley, Lorenzen, Aquino, Moncada, Marsh, uh, Rodolfo, uh, Hanniger, all for under five dollars. Uh, so mm. that's like 10 guys that I got 
that definitely won me that league. Um, and, you know, I only had, you know, 50 bucks at the end there. And, you know, that's probably my best I've ever done in the end game, but I probably had my worst ever fab year in from April through um, August, I would say. Right. Um, yeah, I so, don't have anything to add to that, really. Do you, think, do you think it makes more sense to um, save, like, if you're going to do that big splash for, like, a prospect, like, your low or Vinny P, or save it for, like, wait for somebody to make a mistake and drop somebody that, like, like an injured guy that comes back early, like an Eloy last year, or um, what would you rather spend your money on? Like, someone, a proven guy that gets, you know, maybe you see that in football more where somebody gets dropped that's, like, completely stupid, but it happens in baseball, too, in, like, especially in the 12s. So in that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know that I would have any preconceived uh, rigid guidelines. I think you got to take what the league gives you. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you can, I don't think you should hoard fab money w waiting, expecting someone to make a really bad drop. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think in most cases, the prospects don't work out, but there's certainly examples where they do. Uh, I, I think also you want to, you want to kind of evaluate where you're weak and see if this big target is something, someone that's going to, you know, really put your team over or just, you know, give you more depth. Right on. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's a correlation between the number of moves made and your team and the performance of the team. So like Mark in the MTM, you, you made eight, 73 ads, which would, which would equate to about, about 13 or $14 each. Um, the auction, you guys made the most moves in the league. I think what you guys you guys were like fourth and I was fifth, right? In that league, I don't remember. Yep. Yep. And yep. um yeah, yeah, you didn't win it, but we were still it was a dogfight that league, especially for like third place for at least yeah, a good part we of the tied, league. Yeah, we were tied with Jenny Butler with about an hour to go, and she got the win from who was that random Minnesota pitcher? Um I don't know who it was, but she she it was well deserved. She had a great season. She you know, uh she she you know just manage the heck out of that team and um yeah i was looking at that question zach um um and yeah we had some good pickups you yeah know, you guys got, you guys so, got horner felix bautista birdie like the sloppy seconds birdie though right um drury miranda i don't know if you hold actually, on, hold i think on. we had birdie early i think we had birdie yeah. when he first oh, came oh, and oh, that, oh did that you really nice made a yep. big difference to that team so this this team zach we the, the, and you asked about pitching and hitting. So yeah, so just let me set the table here because this is just a one-off example. But you spent five hundred eighty-four dollars on hitting, so about half your ads were on hitting, including the Josh Lowe thing. So really, if you take out the Josh Lowe from that five eighty-four, it's a lot less. So and there's more hitters to field. So really, you're you've focused more of your fab, um, like on a pro rata um, percentage or whatever, however you want to say it. You, you focus more on pitching. But like for um dollar for dollar, um, so what sort of like is that typical or is it just it's too is it too hard to look at a one league sample? Yeah, I, I, I oh god, sorry, I had a mic. I was just gonna say I, I think on that on that team hitting was a strength and um for um a good part of the season I think I think that was the team where we got off to a pretty good pitching start. I think we might have that might have been our. Mackenzie Gore early pickup and uh, Kopech was off to a good start. And I think by midseason, we knew our pitching was in trouble and started focusing more on pitching. But um, I, I think it's very team dependent. I, I don't, I, it's not something I've ever looked into, but I, I would think it's really um, 
team by team needs and, and who's available in FAP. I, I do recall we did, you know, have a couple discussions, you know, on I was I kind of knew like that midway through that our pitching was going to be the problem. And I, I said, we really have to stop spending on hitting, you know, like, like we don't need any more hitting. And actually the, the weird thing is we had, I think we had 70 points in hitting at one, at, at one point, one time and ended up, I think maybe 65 or something like that. And that, that actually cost us the cash too. So, you know, by putting all the resources into the pitching, it definitely pushed us up to, to a little more balance, but you know, ultimately, you know, uh, it, it, it didn't totally work out. Yeah, we had Shane Boz in this lead. Uh, we had McGill, and then we had a $2 McKenzie Gore we picked up, I think, in the first week. So that was looking really good for a while there. And then all three of them got hurt. And mm -hmm. that just left us with uh, Wheeler, who had a slow start, Robbie Ray, who was solid, Kopech, who was pretty good, and then Morton, who was terrible. And we just, you know, we spent a lot of money on pitching in, in the auction. Those cheap guys, I thought, were going to be the keys. And once they all got hurt, that really, really, um, that's what set us back. And I think we we fought as hard as we could. We just fell short there. And we just needed, we needed one more pitcher, I think, to really to really make a difference in that league. And we just never got it. One more question on this auction before we move on to the main event. Um, I just, I was quickly looking through the transactions. And you guys were adding and, catch, adding and dropping <laughs> catchers furiously in that league. Was that just like a... A happenstance, or is that something that you that you actively do for like one dollar? If you're going to play like four game weeks versus two game weeks for catcher, like what what's the deal with that? So what do you I do when you have a shitty catcher? <laughs> well, you just you just stream them every week because for me, I don't have I I, I blew I blow through my fab enough that I can't afford to start moving my catcher every week. Like whereas you guys are rationing it, is that is that the case? Am I just I just got to be better with fab and start moving my catcher every week? No, you don't. Because uh, so I actually looked at our team stats here. So so a couple of good things. We drafted Contreras, who was amazing, um, and Elias Diaz, who we were too high on. He ended up not having a good year. And then late, probably our best fab pickup was Sal Perez. I think for six bucks or something like that. Really huge. So between Perez and Contreras, they gave us like a two seventy six total. So that's runs, homers, ribbies, and steals. So just a massive massive um, um, haul from them. But the seven other catchers we rostered, 263 at-bats, so about a half, you know, a little more than a half a catcher, 201 average, seven homers, 26 RBI, 24 run. Complete, utter waste of time. We should have just literally stuck with Diaz and basically gotten that exact stat, saved the time and effort and the money for those other catchers, and we wouldn't have been any worse off. So, I don't think that's a great strategy, just rifling through one dollar catchers on. That leads me to a DC question that I'll skip. A, I'll skip ahead. Like these DCs, is is it even worth it grabbing a third or fourth catcher? Because if your catcher gets hurt, you're pretty much fucked anyways. And those DCs, you're you're so strapped for like pitchers and outfielders anyways. Why even bother with Austin Hedges, who might get you like? Fill in stats like I think he had seven home runs all year. He might when you're when he's filling in, he might have four home runs and kill your average some more. And I don't know, like I guess like those twenty RBIs or so are going to help, but maybe like you're might be taking a zero in the outfield. Like it, I'm I want to look in. That's something I want to look into. Mike, I, I think I think your intuition is right. I, I guess I would say it as at some point it it's not worth taking that extra catcher, but me. 
but because catchers get injured so frequently, like I, I try to get my third catcher before round 30. Um, and if there's anyone on the wire who's still decent, I'll, I'll take a fourth catcher. And, um, but then after a certain point, I don't, I don't draft them. Right. Um, so like, I mean, uh, you know, Zach, we're doing a DC now. Um, I kind of weighed on catch. I got Sean Murphy as my first. I went all upside with Gabriel Marino as my second in like round 22. And then I, I jumped back in in round 28 to get Carson Kelly. Well, that's so a good I, deal on Kelly though. Yeah, I, I thought so. And, and I, um, so I, you know, at least now if, if Marino is, uh, you know, doesn't start with the team, which I, I expect he'll, he'll be up to start opening day, but um, if for any reason he isn't, or if I have an injury, at least I have a, a decent catcher. And then, you know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have to do this, but I round 41, I saw James McCann was still available. I mean, at least, you know, starting the season, he's probably the Mets starting catcher. Um, at least I, the hope would be he'd be better than a zero if I ever actually needed him. Um, but yeah, at some point it's not worth diminishing margin returns. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe as Mike the Mouth would say, you're drafting with idiots having James McCann still around in the 41st round. But I was doing the same thing. I was playing chicken with catcher. Right be, right as you took Carson Kelly, I was my first catcher was, let me look. Well, I got uh, Melendez in my first catcher, which is good. And then um, I sort of played chicken with a catcher too. And I ended up with Jan Gomes and then Luis Campusana. Sort of the same thinking you had, like, I guess maybe at different points. But like, I figured, I don't know, uh, like Campusano might get that shot next year. And then yep. I don't have a fourth catcher yet, and there's two rounds left. I don't even think it's worth it for me. So now at this point, at this point, you you're probably better off going upside or filling a different hole. God, um, I'm on deck. I'm just annoyed at the draft right now. Um, so what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So whose whose idea was it to grab um, Sal Perez? Because no one really knew that he was coming back from injury that like that quickly. So whoever got him early that week or the week before he was said to come back. What was the intuition there? I, I didn't see it. Honestly, I, I don't, um, I don't remember whether it was Mark or me who, who were on him. He definitely surprised us in coming back earlier than we hoped, but our, our second catcher situation was so bad. It seemed like it was worth stashing him. I, I don't know. I guess, what I've what I've found in doing the leagues, at least for the last several years, is every time I say at the beginning of, in draft season, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna draft any stashes, and then I always draft one, and they never work out. Whether it's Shane Boz this year, I I love this stuff. I figured eh, he'll be back in May. Of course, that didn't happen. I I can go on and on. Those never seem to work out. But sometimes when really good players get hurt mid season. And you can get them in fab a couple weeks early for a couple of bucks. Those tend to be some of the best buys I've ever had in fab is the kind of the mid season, get in early on an injured player. Um, of course you gotta, you know, your team has to be relatively healthy at the time and you have the, the bench spot to, to devote to him. But um, I don't know. I, I've, I found that that works pretty well in season. Right on. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mike, we finally dropped Shane Boz for Sal Perez there on uh, July 17th. So at least <laughs> at least that huge stash turned into – I think that was the thinking, though. Like, 
hey, we're already stashing an injured guy. Let's just cut bait on this guy and let's let's stash another guy who's injured, but who's a good <laughs> player and who you know might come back at some point. So I think that was the thinking uh, when we went for Perez there. So that was that was that definitely our best. That our makes best sense. Decision. Um, <clears throat> so main event. Let's look on the main event that you guys did together. And um, I was not in this draft. This was, I think, the Thursday uh, in Vegas. You guys were pumped about the main event when you after you did it. You got Burns and Woodruff combo, which was rare. At like I, I don't know if everyone remembers back uh, before last season. Those guys were both first rounders, but you you ended up getting both of them. Um, and then you got uh, Starling Marte in the third, T. Oscar in the fourth, which is also a, a huge value relative to where he was going. And then Rio Muto in the fifth, which was just crazy. Um, so you got some enormous value. So talk about like it's not every drafter you have this opportunity. So you got to take it's about talk about taking advantage of the opportunity because you had in this draft Chauvin, he double tapped Hader Hendricks in the first and second round. Then you had guys taking Buxton, Mondesi. Like I was one of those guys taking Buxton in some drafts, but guys taking upside guys and just sort of letting the draft fall to you. So talk about that. So we um you know, we we prepped for this. We got our KDS. It was later than we had wanted. I think I think we drafted tenth, if I remember correctly. And uh, you know, uh, we were talking about it, and then Mark got into Vegas, and we were talking and planning about it, and we we decided to go hitter hitter. Um, but Funny. the uh, the one the one thing we uh, we do is um, we don't get so rigid in the um, in the prep that we ignore what's happening in the room. And, uh, you know, we we thought there was kind of a top six at the time. Uh, and I, I couldn't tell you all six, but Burns was in it. Um, and, and both of us, maybe especially me last year, but we, we both were really high on um, Burns and did not expect him to be there at 10. And I think some of the hitters we were targeting went and we just decided to shift gears. Were you targeting and, uh, Bob? No, yeah, Sean taking Robert at nine was just a total gift to us to, to kind of lead us into getting mm. Burns. I think we were sitting there going, "He's taking Burns. He's taking Burns." Actually, Otani was our was the target there, Mike. Uh, we had, we had talked about at ten we were going to go Otani there, um, and you know the funny thing the funny thing is this team was in fourteenth place on June tenth, forty five points out of first. Wow, and the amount of crying I was doing about our draft, about never doing that again. You know, we had a plan. Why'd we take the pictures? That was so <laughs> stupid. What the hell? I mean, seriously, the, I was I was crying like you could not believe. Um, so we love the team leaving Vegas. And then when you're, you know, June's not that early in the season, you know, and when you're, I've never had a team come from that far back ever. Uh, it is a testament to the grind. You know, Mike is a never-say-die guy. I I was probably pseudo kind of writing it off at some point. He's like, you know, I know it doesn't look good, but let's just keep the process. He, you know, he really – that's where a partner really comes into play. Um, I did I did, I did, a, I did a solo main also and a, and a solo AC, and I, not, I, I didn't give up, but I, I didn't grind as hard as I did uh, on, a, on a shared team because you have a partner. You can't – you have to match their intensity and, you know, and, and their, and their level of, of interest in the team. You can't just, you know, go off on your own. So um, yeah, you know, obviously the hater Hendricks double tap by Dave was um, definitely an, an eyebrow raiser. I mean, I know it didn't work out for him this year, but you know um, 
two guys. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. What? They, they maintain closer. Oh, yeah. Through. But I think at what cost, right? The yeah. opportunity cost of going closer, closer, you know, really changes your whole dynamic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no. To answer your question, no. We don't, we don't usually get gifts like this. I mean, you know, everyone thinks that they're the most unlucky. I mean, Mike and I, I'd say half our texts are about how unlucky we are, um, to be honest. But um, uh, so, but 90% you know, of yours. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to, you have to just be open to what's there. Um, and you asked a couple of questions. So first of all, we really wanted Alonzo there in the third and, and Sean did not do us a favor there when he picked Alonzo right before Marte. Um, Alonzo, I think was definitely going to be our pick there. Um, so that, that stung a little bit. And, um, would we have taken Judge ahead of T, uh, her, T Oscar, Mike? Uh, ask Mike about Judge if you want to get if you want to get him going for this Mike, year. Mike, what, what about Judge? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an embarrassing uh, miss. Uh, being a Yankees fan too, it's just uh, painful. I only had him on one team. Um, a DC team, I saw. Yeah, it was a four hundred DC team that I I won. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's embarrassing. I wasn't I wasn't super high on him I, I think the injury concerns I tend to be conservative with early picks and um I should have been higher on him you I wasn't him, uh, you took him this year in the DC that Rob DiPietro is putting on in fifth overall or sixth overall or seventh wherever you picked the first round yes I did I took him seventh yeah so now you're, um, you're, you're buying you're buying it you're buying the not the dip what's yeah. the opposite of that you're buying the the gush I don't know, <laughs> I know. I'll probably regret it but I don't, think I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Mark, are you in on Judge this year? So I'm not going to be drafting for a while or prepping for a while. I'm oh, still uh, in the It's a simple fucking question, Mark. Are you in on <laughs> Judge not, or no? I'm not out on him. Well, actually, it, it, I'm not out on him, no. And uh, I, I'll just – I'll admit to another a super embarrassing uh, – mistake i made since mike did how how you you're a polit you're obviously a politician here like you're saying you're not no, 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 you're like I'm, well i asked you if I'm you're in you're like well i'm not out and now you're changing the topic no 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 no, no. <laughs> i'm not out on him next year but i know i just wanted to say this year in the mtm tactics you're not you're not getting me though okay but go ahead go ahead i'll let you I'll, I'll give you i'll let you off the hook here okay well let me just so it'll, it'll answer a couple of your other questions so okay i'm, I'm definitely not out on him next year a hundred percent not out because I think you have to take advantage of guys who you know are going to hit homers, given we don't know what the ball is going to be. So I'm going to err on the side of the bigger hitters next year than I did this year. This year was a lot of 20 homer guys I was drafting, and that was a massive mistake. Uh, homers was a really tough category this year. We did great in average in a lot of leagues. My steals were fine. Counting stats were good. Homers were terrible. Saves were terrible, um, as I mentioned earlier. So in the MTM, and, and, and you would ask, um, so in the MTM, I took in the fifth round. Now, listen, we're all drinking. Everyone's having fun and all that. But fifth round, sixth pick, I take Chris Bryan over Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge goes 5-12 in the MTM. Um, if I had just taken Judge there over Bryan, and I might heard this about 50 times at least during the year. Who did I take um, over Judge? Um, yeah, let's, let's, yeah, that's, um, yeah, you're not going to like it either. Um, you took... Obviously. Um, actually, well, actually, this is no. Uh, 
you went Wheeler in the fourth, Class A in the fifth. That's amazing, actually. Class A in the fifth is an excellent pick there. So yeah, I don't know. I must have fucked up the rest of that draft. And I didn't even get Buxton in that draft because Govier got Buxton. So what Your first six picks were fire. You went Cole, Acuna, Teoscar, Wheeler, Class A, Bobby Witt in the sixth. So that's how, how did I fuck this draft up? Uh, Aroldis Chapman, Fernando Tatis Jr., <laughs> Tyler Malley, Bram Mill Reyes, Trent Grisham, Tanner <laughs> Hope, stop, stop. <laughs> Trevor Bauer in his 18th, Joe Adele. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so and 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 you would ask me, so I was, you know, I had a few RBVs, you know, Red Bull and Vodka with. Uh, I guess I was drinking. Wagner. I guess I was drinking throughout the draft, and I must have had a, a couple of shots, like right after I picked uh, Class A. <laughs> I also told Mike if I. I thought it, I thought it was like uh, I thought I should have some Class Azul or something after Class A. Sorry, I was telling Mike because I was trailing Carter uh, Gill like the whole season. I go if I lose to a guy who drank a fifth of Jack during the draft, I'm never doing this draft again. So luckily, I was able to kind of pull Carter. Pull. Carter had a good year this year. So he was up there. He was up there and up there in the deep draft champions. A couple teams. He had a good year. Very good player. I'm going to draft him right now. He's a good player right now. People say all the spirit of the event, and you know, uh, Masato gives me a ton of crap for not drinking, and he's not wrong. Um, But anyway, the you you would ask me. I so I did drink a little bit, and I screwed up. I used my 15 team file instead of my 12 team file, and you asked me if that made a difference, and it did. It was actually that Judge uh, Bryant decision. Um, if I had been using my 12 teamer, Judge was like the 20th, you know, hitter and like the what I have now, like the 20th hitter, and he was the uh, 31st overall player, and I absolutely would have taken him there in the fifth ahead of Brian if I was using the right file. I just so, so what, that's what, where it actually hurt me. So they're both like, like Brian has third base eligibility. That's the only difference. Is that is, do your files like how does that how, what's the I don't, I don't give what, a are the, what are the, what are the numerics there that would cause it to like the rankings to shift? Well, it's interesting. Well, um, good good question. I mean, the the relative difference between Judge and Bryant was the same uh, in both files, meaning they were both about eleven hitters apart um, in, in each file. So that didn't really change. Um, I think the twelve teamer brings in some different. Uh, it's probably pitching. Well, actually. Um, I'd have to look a little bit carefully. You know, it's I'm you know I, I think like you, Zach. I mean, I'm a I'm an SGP you know a projection guy. So you know, I'm basically running SGPs and just kind of letting it letting it do its thing. Um, uh, let's see here. Did it? Um, I'm just trying to see if anything jumps out at me. Yeah. So here, here's a perfect example. In the Vlad Jr. is was my second highest hitter in the 15 team. He was fourth in the 12 team. There's an example. Um, uh, Mookie Betts was higher in the 12 than in. So I think some of it is the, what you use for your SGB uh, calculations. You know which category. Who else is higher? Who, what were the two? Who are the two that passed? Um, so so Mookie was higher. Um, um, Bichette was higher in the 15 teamer. Lower in the twelve teamer. Um, you know what? You know what, what it is because I, I I have an idea of what it might be. Because when I was doing the twelve teams, I did a bunch of OCs and I did a bunch of obviously the fifteen teamers last year. Um, I noticed that in the twelve teamers, you could wait on first base and corner. Like I was getting Nate Low, I was getting um, Suarez, Eugenio Suarez, um, late in these drafts, and there's basically no competition for them. Whereas when you're doing the draft champions, 
that like once you have a first and third, you're not your third corner infielder. It became very scarce. So I think what your formula may have done is devalue the corner infielders in the um, 12. That's right. That's right. There is a, there's an adjustment there. So it looks at replacement value and there's some positional advantage, you know, in the SGP calculation that gets factored in based on the scarcity or, 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 um, you know, uh, you know, plethora of, of options at those positions. So that's the thing. Hey, so one more thing, uh, just, just, and then let's go draft champions and, and Mike and all is amazingness, but you asked about fading and, you know, that's a, that, that's a really good question about like pre-fades and, you know, we, for, for the first time, Mike and I did have, where, where are we on the agenda here? Are you I'm just, sorry, like, so I'm, just it, it was, it was the last main event question. It was just, you come to a collective, uh, fade. Oh, pre-fade. okay. I got you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No. It's all good. Um, so Mike uh, just left for a second. I think he's getting ready to get, get the champagne out for the Yankees uh, about to win. Oh, fuck. DuPont can't um, listen. To, DuPont's not going to be able to listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we one one adjustment we made this year was you know we wanted to have a little more of a of a target list and a fade list. You know, I, I think in the past we were a little bit too. Um, open-ended on both sides. You know, we had uh, too many people in our, because you know, the, the last years before, in 19, we were great. The, the short season was terrible. Last year, we struggled. This year, we had a really good year. And I think part of it was we, we, we honed in on who we really wanted and who we did not want. So we definitely had a little more intentionality around guys that we were just fading. Now, my only point I want to say is there were a couple of guys that we, faded because one of us wanted to fade not the other i think that's maybe the next enhancement next year i'll just mention uh alcantara mike was into and i was a fade and verlander i was into and mike was a fade and we ended up getting neither in our share teams and that's a mistake i think sometimes when you're partnering you have to be willing to go with the guy that the other person has a big feeling on it might be wrong it might be against your better judgment but i think Sometimes you have to kind of go with your partner if they have a real good feeling. And I don't think we did a good job on that, on, on, on those key players. So I think we had them on our, our solo teams and they were difference makers for us elsewhere. But um, so anything else on that, Mike, the kind of the fade list we had this year or the, the target list? No, no, I think that says it all. Do you have any fades right now already, Mike? I know, Mark, you're not drafting yet. Um. Most players, I think, are you know they'll they'll be a price at some point. But like I, I tend to avoid at least in DCs, I I tend to avoid the always injured players. Um, Buxton, you know, I mean, oh yeah, I I haven't owned Buxton in years and years. Um, you know, uh, we both passed on Mondesi how many how many yeah. times in this draft? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, I re- I re- I even texted Mark at some point. I was like. Geez, it's like round twenty something, and, and no one, no one wanted to talk me out of it. But um, yeah, um, did I talk you out of it because you never responded? I said, yeah. oh, no, I, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't you already really figured out what my response you, was going to be. You kind of confirmed where I was thinking. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think as ADP develops, I get more. I, I have more fades. Um, but um, right now. No, I don't think I have any like super fades at this what about, point. What about Tatis? Like he seems to be kind of always injured, and I don't know. 
latest news doesn't make you feel great. Yeah, I mean, you know, if the price wasn't so high, I'd be I'd be more open to it. But I'm again, I'm trying to avoid these stashes where I know he's gonna be out for a while. So it's you know, we think it's a month, um, but then that assumes perfect health and no new injuries and stuff. Um yeah, I mean at some point he's such a talent that you would you would draft him, but I don't think I could go second round on him right now. That's okay. just me. All right. Um, going to move on to the draft champions leagues. So, Mike, you did 11 of them, including, I think, three, four honeys, and you won five of them, which is very, very good. Um, and the ones like the and the ones that you were like down in the standings in, the, like the not good ones, like there are sort of problems you couldn't fix. Like one, you had Lou Bob, Freddie Peralta, JD Martinez, Brandon Lowe. Like some of that, I guess, is kind of like you have to take some responsibility for that, but some, oh, some sure. a, a lot of that's bad luck. The other one is Albies, Whitmerryfield, Chris Sale, Jose Barrios. So, like, no, no one was letting Barrios fall, like, past round, whatever. Like, everyone was, no one, no one thought that he was going to be terrible, but like he was. But some of it's bad luck, some of it's some responsibility. But um, overall, you did very well. Um, we don't, I don't want to um, lament your second place too much, but like, it's a game of inches. You, you lost by seven points. So, like, you basically, basically did it. Um, any star set could have done it. Um, yeah, you've, you've done the premature draft a couple of years in a row. I think now you've won it a couple yep. of times. And then you also did a new year's new year's Eve draft. I think that Mike the mouth put on, um, do you find those to be like harder, softer, like, or do you tend to look at ones where you don't recognize any names and say, Oh, this might be easier. No, I, I tend to not do that. I, I tend to like the faster DC. So, um, if Mike, uh, or Dan Kenyon or somebody I know is putting together uh, a DC where there'll be where there'll be a, a faster pace. I'll jump in it even if it's harder. It's still it's still more enjoyable. I'd rather have a tougher league that moves quickly than a you know um, than have a really slow league. Um, and I I enjoy drafting the whole the whole off season. Um, you know, I, I think there are pros and cons to drafting early and, you know, the, the market hasn't settled. I, I feel like I'm well prepared for them because I just watch a insane amount of baseball. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like even though I haven't like really started prepping for next year, I, it's all fresh and I'm, I feel pretty comfortable doing it, but um, sometimes you can get some great buys. I, I was in, um, you know, the first DC, uh, Several years ago, Lindy won the whole DC overall. Yeah, with the very in the very first DC, you basically um, did it in DC ten this year. Um, that was in one of the first ones in November. It's got to be like I think one of their first five DCs. Yeah. You had you had two teams yeah. that were just fucking horrific though in that league though. I don't know if you noticed, but there was two the two no, uh, the fourteenth and fifteenth place teams were just like they're like one of the one of the teams had Miles Straw and Nicky Lopez before round twelve. Um, he took like Robbie, <laughs> Robbie Grossman in round seven. It's because it's this early. Um, that's a good segue. If you want to look at our draft that we're in right now, it's just wrapping up. Like, let's take a look at that. And while we, while we take, while we pull it up, um, do you think the four honeys are harder than the one fifties? Um, probably. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I think yeah, there's I agree. probably more, more serious players. So yeah, I would say so. So I'm trying to pull up. Here's the draft right now. So like, I think there's, there's, 
there's some picks that are just like, I think, and I'm by no means like the ultimate expert of these drafts. And Mark, maybe I'll pull, I'll share my screen so you can see it too. Yeah, awesome. I was going to ask if you could do that. Thank you. Can you see it? Uh, yes, I can. This Perfect. is the one, this is the screen where I'm picking fifth and Mike's picking 13th. Or I shared a different screen. Have I pulled up the right screen? Yep, I yeah, can see it. Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah, perfect. Okay, good, yep. because I have a bunch of obviously drafts going on, so I didn't know if I pulled up the right screen. Um, so, yeah, this is the draft. And there's like, there, like, in my opinion, there's some picks that are just like crazy. I don't know. I don't, I can't recall anything right now, but um, yeah, I know I see a couple that I'm just like, this is not going to be the way things shake out later. But there's also some, there's also some really good values I felt. Um, Buck, I took Buxton in this draft. Really wasn't planning on taking Buxton in a draft, <laughs> but I don't know. He fell to a point where I'm like, okay, let's do it. Like I'm, I'm going to be in enough drafts. I can, I can stomach one of them. Well, that's well if he works start. out, you'll be. If he works out, you'll be in good shape because I really like the beginning of your draft. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. Until then, I've showed it to a bunch of people. And I think, I think I showed Mark, and you're like, ah, Buxton and Brian, I'm not a big fan of. Because I yeah, took bucks in seven. I mean, you, you if you're going to go volume, then you have to sprinkle in them in a couple spots. And seventh and eighth round is certainly not egregious. And with that foundation, you know, even if those don't hit, you still have a great start there with the pitching and, and some excellent hitters there. I mean, Cease getting him in late in the second is a huge deal. I mean, J-Rod's going first overall in a lot of these. You got him at five. So, I, that makes sense. If you're doing volume, then, you know, you, you have to, you have to sprinkle them in. You know, the question is neither guy is going to run. Um, they're both brittle. You know, the power, you know, the power is important. Fox is not an average guy anymore. Brian is. So, yeah, I mean, I could see it. Yeah. Um, so Mike, you might, you want to talk about a couple of your picks or do you want to, you or do you yeah, not want to just. I, no, uh, I, I don't mind. I, say whatever. So, uh, um, I looked at some of your DCs last year and just sort of to combine uh, the topics of going through your last year with this year, it looked like um, uh, you, you're not totally a pitcher heavy guy first, at least last year you weren't like, so I've had Steve Weimer on the show and he's very much a pit, like one of the first two picks is going to be a pitcher probably, if not both. Um, Toby, same idea. Um, and a lot of those, that group of guys, they, they are going to take a focus on pitching early. You are more I don't want to pigeonhole either you or Steve or Bill or any of those guys or Toby into like doing one thing, but I'd say you're more you are more inclined to take hitters early than they are. Um last year you um of your first 20 you did 11 drafts. So the first two rounds you only had five starting pitchers and one reliever out of those 22 picks. So you're you were more inclined to take a hitter early. And um, you took one pitcher in the first four rounds. So you have Freeman, Machado, and Altuve in, in one, two, and four. And your third round pick was a pitcher. And then you you ended the first 10 rounds with three starting pitchers, which is typical for you. Is is it sort of like a – is that sort of a formula for you? Or is it just how the draft falls and you're taking – you're not so much worried about taking a set number of pitchers? Yeah, I'm not – I don't have any uh, rigid formulas. A lot of times – you take what the draft gives you, especially when you're drafting on an end like I am. Um, I mean, I, obviously, I'm going to take several pitchers. I don't mind taking a pitcher first. And I've probably done it more frequently in 
in the mains when pitching gets pushed up. But I, um, you know, with the with the extra picks, I know I'm going to have you know a lot of darts to throw later. I don't feel I if I can get a, a true ace early, I have no hesitation about taking them. But I, I'm not going to um, reach just to get a pitcher uh, that I'm not happy with. So how many how many true aces do you think there are right now? I don't know. I haven't counted them. I I guess you could say you know there's probably ten or so, but. I, to me, at least my my early impression is that the kind of the gap between you know the maybe the top tier and the second tier is less. Like you know, in years past, I I felt that there was a a big advantage of getting a Cole or a Burns or when he was healthy a Degrom, um, and that it was worth it to um, to go pitcher early. Um, now I I mean. You know, yeah, there'll be some, and and obviously you can count Otani. Obviously, deserves to be drafted high, and you could think of him as a pitcher or a partial pitcher. But yeah, you could make a you could make a case that uh, none of the pitchers really deserve to be in in round one this year. I mean, I know probably Burns and Cole, or maybe Cease will be at the tail end of one, and they'll creep up come March. But I I don't know. I'm I'm I think uh, I would rather start most drafts right now with a hitter and get a pitcher in round two or three. I think that's what the consensus is thinking. I've seen um, several drafts where there is no pitcher in the first round aside from Otani. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. I think maybe the play is um, it feels like the hitting, like the, like the first couple of tiers of hitting is just sort of drop, like drops off. Like when you get to a point, like after sort of the Springers and Castellanos, the guys that you, I've seen do it before, but maybe didn't have their best year this year. Once that drops off in round seven or eight, it really gets dicey for the hitters. Um, however, on the other hand, um, you see the new rules coming into play, you know, shift and stuff like that, and things change every year. So maybe like, like I do agree that the, the pitching is more condensed in the first, I guess, six rounds, but maybe, maybe the hitting and the hitting seems, the hitting seems worse. Like, like at the last couple of roster spots you're filling out in your hitters, like seems like they're pretty shitty, but maybe things will change. And those borderline hitters we're drafting in rounds like 20 might become better hitters this year. So we don't know how the landscape's going to change. Um, maybe that's a good segue into um, what you guys think. I don't want to spend too much time because it's going to get beaten to death, but like the rules, what do you guys think about the rules? How, the, how, how that's going to change things like the shift and the, the pitch clock and stuff like that. Can I just say one thing first? I'm looking at this draft. So I'm baffled by some of these some of these picks here. Yeah, how me, too. Is, me too. How is Drew Rasmussen going in the 13th round, Zach? How are you getting him in the 13th round? That's absolutely absurd. And Pablo Lopez at the end of the 12th, I, I'm just so confused. I know there's no ADP really yet, and it's early, and that's probably not going to happen. But, wow, I mean – if you can get those kind of pitchers that late, yeah, I, I would be taking all hitters to start with too. Um, I think those are some crazy good picks. And even Barrios, I know Mike just fell off his chair because of what Barrios did to him this year, but um, even him in the 14th is, is pretty stupid. So um, yeah, I mean, over down in the, where is he going? The 16th round. Wow. Um, maybe I should jump into a few drafts right now. I don't know. Yeah, you see some crazy values, but you also see – and that's a result of some crazy, um, like, people getting pushed up. Like, um, I don't really want to single anything out, but if I if I don't see anything right now that jumps out at me. But 
Well, you know, I think in DC you have to be careful because, right, you have closers like you have Duran and Alexis D. You know, guys going in the tenth round that have absolutely no no right to be going that high. But it's a DC, so if you don't get closers, you know, you don't get them. Um, Congratulations, but, Mike. Yes, I know. Five one. Yeah, I told them about three hours ago that they were going. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, there you go, Mike. All the Yankee, all the Yankee fans on ear, Twitter. Ear, earmuffs, Dupont. Dupont earmuffs. Can't. This is. Uh, I never. I never said congratulations. <laughs> so yeah, go go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Anyway, so yeah, so the rule changes. I don't know, Mike. You you have, you have any thoughts on that? I haven't had time to really process them yet. Yeah, I guess I, I have some. I mean, I I think there will be more stolen bases. Um, you know, how they're dispersed, I really don't know, so I'm not going crazy on that. I I think one of the underrated changes is the schedule, balancing the schedule more. I think it makes AL East and NL East starting pitchers more attractive, and some of the AL Central and NL Central starters who have had comparatively easier schedules now um, will not have it as good. Um, I think also... You know, banning the shift to me is a maybe a bigger impact on pitchers than hitters. I think uh, some teams definitely are better than others at at uh, defending. And you know, I mean, I think that the Dodgers had like the by far the lowest BABIP against of any any team. Um, I think you can make a, an argument that maybe um, BABIP and batting averages will be higher with outlawing the shift. And so maybe it's, maybe you want to weigh um, the strikeout pitchers like a, a cease, uh, give them the lean over, you know, kind of the more contact pitchers like Alcantara or Freed. Um, so those are just some preliminary thoughts I have on it. Yeah, no, those, those all make sense. And those are things that are being debated. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know what else you can say about this particular draft that we were in. Um, I like your team, obviously. Um, I think yeah. Oh, so I wanted to ask you about Jake McCarthy. You took him in the the ninth round. So that's after pick one hundred. Um, he's a guy that I don't really know what to make of him right now. Uh, he's got a lot of stolen bases, but um, one of those waiver wire guys like, well, Adolis Garcia last year. No one wants to buy back in on him, and he did amazing. Um, Taylor, yeah, I... Taylor Ward's another guy. So those like, do we Taylor Ward, Morrell? Like Morrell's not going as high, but go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I watch a lot of baseball. McCarthy kind of jumped out at me as being um, really skilled. I like it. I liked his bat, and the guy ran virtually every chance he had and was successful doing it. Um, I think he's. I think he has one of the highest sprint speeds in, in Major League Baseball. I think he'll play on that team. I think that team is a, a young, exciting team that is going to – get better and he should hit in the top third of that lineup um you know i started the draft kind of you know when you're in the 13 spot you got you got to kind of take what the draft gives you i i kind of went to established hitters to start freeman machado i filled my corners with guys who you know hopefully will play 160 games and give me a a lot of uh, stats, but not a lot of stolen bases. So I, I definitely wanted to kind of address that with some of my picks. So, um, but yeah, so I, I thought he uh, made a lot of sense at nine thirteen. Okay. Mike, did you 
did, did you consider Quan there, or did you think you were pretty solid in average with that base? Also, you had Altuve, and you just wanted oh, to get no, I, speed upside, or no? I I like Quan. Uh, I I would have taken. Um, I would have thought about taking him on the way back. It was McCarthy or Quan was the thought at um, at that pick. Um, but I also loved Gunnar Henderson where I got him. I, I don't know. Round. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel like he should be going multiple rounds ahead of where I got him. He has been. Um, oh, I got him late okay. in the 10th round, which is kind of a, one of those things. I, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where like uh, you need you need to – get the sorted out some sort of sort of um, positions rather than just grab him. Um, maybe he's a guy that I should have considered. Um, yeah. He probably yeah. is a guy I probably should have considered now that uh, in hindsight in the 10th round um, in the ninth round, but I took Melendez in the ninth round. So I think that's also a good value for him. Oh yeah. So Anytime yeah. You can get a catcher who's going to play all the time. Sure. So yeah, I, I I was considering Henderson in the ninth, but um, I chose Melendez instead just because they both are scarce positions. Um, yeah. so yeah, let's 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 um circle back to the DC from last year. DC number fifty nine. You won this. Um, you started with Harper, Story, Logan Webb, Springer as some of your first picks, and a lot of those guys were injured for a lot of the year or didn't perform to what they did the year before. But you did get Cease and McClanahan around seven and eight, and that's sort of similar to what we're talking about now. I, that is that was an early DC DC number fifty nine. That must have been in that must have been in November, and um, you got Cease in round seven before he started getting pushed up, and then McClanahan yeah. round eight. That's that's huge. Um, so talk about getting in, into these early DCs and how to achieve value with no or limited ADP. So like, what do you, you you say take what the draft gives you, but Maybe you can expand on that a little bit more. Um, honestly, it's probably just more gut than anything else. I mean, I, I don't, I, I haven't really started my prep. I have not. I don't. Obviously, there's no projections out. It just um, those guys were the by far the best guys on the board at the time, and I took them. But, but yes, this is it's definitely um, an advantage of drafting early at times. Uh, I mean. Sometimes it hurts you and sometimes it helps you. I, I think the um, my best DC team that, that almost won it, I, I know I had Class A on it and I probably got him in round five or six, um, you know, before closer prices got crazy. I, I yeah. don't remember exactly, but um, that's, you know, there there's opportunities. I mean, obviously there's a lot more uncertainty and, uh, you know, you you have to guess it half the closers in the league and, and, you know, playing time and things like that. You won't know about trades and other injuries will pop up. So there's risks, but there's, it's the same for everyone in the league. Um, but I, I, you know, for the same reasons, you know, Melendez look good for you. Uh, you know, uh, McCarthy look good for me in this draft. It's just, uh, it, sometimes you take what the draft gives you. It's tough to it's tough to have a real detailed plan of what you what you're going to do in in these early drafts when there's no ADP and there's a lot of variation between them. Yeah, no, McCarthy's just sort of a blind spot for me. I think I fabbed him on only one of my like 30 fab teams, so um, he's not a guy that I really was following a lot, and I'll be a guy that I have to look into before um, 
we start digging in this season. Um, honestly, I haven't even looked at digging into him that much because he he he's just going sooner than my gut expected him to. No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying it's a bad pick. I'm just saying like my gut said, oh, maybe he'd be like around 15 pick, but he's going a lot higher than that in these drafts, probably because they don't know much about him or enough about him at this point. But um, like what you were saying about his sprint speed, those are all things I'm going to need to look at before we start going. Um, random random question. Barrios or Giolito next year? This could be a question for either of you. Is none of the above? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine, too. That's that, that's a legit answer. Mark? Uh, where So where, where did Gio go in this one? I'm trying to find him on here. You went, you went earlier, but I'm, that's not even my question. Uh, yeah. Barrios, I would, the floor, I, would take, I would take Giolito first. You did go for it. Tenth, Giolito won the tenth here. Um, either of them benefit or are harmed by the new rules, you know, the shift, the, the pitch clock. Um, either of their profiles. Well, when Mike was saying that the schedule, the rebound schedule, schedule, has more. schedule, yeah, any, yeah, that that would that would help Berrios a little bit, but I, I would, um, I would take the the more certain case with Giolito, um, then okay. Berrios is very hittable. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, last yeah, fade, Zach. I, I those two guys are probably mini fades for me right now. I mean, I was lucky this year. I didn't have either of them this year, so I didn't have to suffer the pain. But it was vicarious trauma through Mike, uh, who I know had both, and I um, that was about a quarter of his texts were about effing Barrios and effing Giolito. Um, Actually, I'll throw a third. Did, I'll throw. I'll throw a third one in Trevor Rogers. Yeah, I had one of him too. Oh my god. <laughs> if you if you won with those teams, like I know Mike the Mouth won a DC with Giolito, and I know Jen's dad was doing very well with Trevor Rogers, I think. Um, if you did, that's impressive to win with, with those guys because they pitched so many innings, especially the like the first two I mentioned, Burrios and Giolito, that like if you didn't start saving them at a point that you were just crushing your ratios. So it's, yeah, it's no, just... I can assure you I I I did not win with uh <laughs> with them. <laughs> It's 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 sort it's sort of um Mark you'll you can commiserate with this it's sort of like football esque where it's like one player can like make or break your team or baseball that doesn't usually happen but a Giulio Brios could do that. Well, they're ratio killers, you know, and you know those ratios are twenty percent of your score, and you know that's just going back to the partnership. You know, Mike Mike um, tends to want to stick with um you know the the perceived studs or like you know the, the good the, the good players where i'm i'll be a little more reactionary oh we got to sit them we got to sit them and some and it's a balance like for example like i think i was able to he would ask me a couple times about sitting giolito and i was like yeah sit them and i think that helped him a couple times but late in the season i think burns had a blow up and i'm like that's it that's it we're benching him we're not starting him and you know, Mike's like, okay. And then, you know, eventually I came to my senses. I think that was like his 13 strikeout game, which if we had sat him, we would not have won the main event. So I think you have to be, that's where the partnership comes we, into. We were not, we were not setting him that way. Ooh, he was going <laughs> to go rogue and just put the part, it. Down. The partnership uh, would be over. <laughs> it's over. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, those guys, uh, Zach, it's a good point. Like, um, Ratio killers that are like a top five round pit starting pitcher. That's the that's the one guy like in a football league who like if if they bust or if they um, 
get hurt that can cost you a team. And uh, yeah, I think Mike had that happen to him. Well, usually that. when the starting pitchers bust, it's when they get hurt. And like, it's usually there's a hitter, the hitter bust, like you've seen in the, in recently, like Bellinger and, and Baez um, players like that, like those kill you like labor Torres one year, because you just don't know when to start, stop it. Whereas pitchers, it's usually like an injury stops it because the, the top end pitchers are usually more consistent, but it's sort of like a rare case where we had a couple of them this year. That just like fucking Zach, let me let me ask you let me ask you a question because you're you're a higher volume drafter than either of us. And I I think I had like twenty-two or twenty-three teams last year. How do how do you uh diversify your starting pitching? I mean, so there's there's you know, I don't know, 15, 20 guys who are gonna go in the top five, six rounds. Um, you know, do um you know, are you going to have shares of all or most of them, or do you weed out a large percentage of them? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll I'll fade. Like some of them, I just think are going too high. Like, um, well, for example, like an easy one was Degrom. I like I faded him mostly. I had a couple token shares, like on, on smaller stakes teams. I think I had like two shares of him just to have because I'm just to have sort of some exposure to that. But um, trying to remember last year, like. Someone like Freed, I didn't have any of him, which turned out to be not such a great fade, um, just because he, like the strikeouts weren't as good as the other players, didn't have such a track record. Um, Luis Castillo was another fade last year because of he just wasn't was too unreliable. Another fade that I probably shouldn't have made, um, but yeah, no, I will have. Like in the first couple of rounds, like this year, I'll, I'll have my Striders, Ceases, Alcantaras, um, try to get some Woodruff, Nola, and just sprinkle them. And in these DCs, it's just going to, I'm just going to probably be taking the ones that fall in, in these DCs because I'm going to be doing a lot of them. So um, in this one, like I took Cease because like Alcantara and Strider were gone already. So that was sort of an, that was sort of an easy one. I guess I could have gone with McClanahan, but, um, in other drafts, like I will probably just um, wait and take a closer and see, like in situations, I'll take a closer hitter, see what falls back. But yeah, but I'll have my certain pitchers that I just probably won't be getting. Like Bieber probably won't be a guy that I'll be drafting a lot uh, where he's going. Um, if it's like the third round. He'd be a guy that just because of this, like like you said, like I thought about that too. The um, the central won't be playing the central a lot. He's sort of in the decline of his career in terms of strikeouts. He's not getting those strikeouts anymore. Um, getting one one year older, he's a guy that he's still like I'm surprised he's going that high. So I don't know if that really answers it, but yeah, I'll sort of like in these DCs take what it take what it's uh, giving me. Auctions are a different story, right? You can sort of have yeah. more leeway to. Um, exploit the values that you perceive to be values in the auctions. Whereas like me and Mark are going to talk about that, like you're an and you and like you sort of have to, you sort of have to passively get the extractive value or the inequity in these in these uh snake drafts. Whereas like you can be more proactive. Uh you proact in the in the auctions. You say, okay, I think these I think this guy's a value. So I'm gonna draft him. I'm, he's gonna be in my budget and I'm gonna throw out this pitcher because i think he's overvalued so i'm gonna hope somebody wastes money on him we can be like that's more proactive with these it's more reactive uh sometimes like you said that just falls into your lap like if a certain player will just um 
fall to a round that you never thought he would fall to? Makes sense. Um, so like going back to your last year's drafts, like what sort of traits are you looking for? Like where we are right now, like we're in, well, even before this, we're in round 50 right now almost. So I saw on some of your DCs, you had Michael Harris in round 50 and you had Josh Naylor in round 50. So those are pretty good round 50 picks. Like usually those don't hit. And I didn't look at all your drafts in detail, but that's two of your 11 DCs. You had money round 50 drafts. So what traits are you looking for? Like, are there, are there any sort of hard characteristics? Like you won't take anyone below double a, you won't. Um, I don't know. I don't even know where Michael Harris was yeah. to start the year last year. Um, I believe he was a double a player. He got called up from double a. I know that, but um, there was some, there was some chatter about him uh, looking really good. Um and being a high upside type player, I think it was just an upside. He was an play. A plus. He didn't. He wasn't even in Double A before last year, yeah. and you took him in round fifty. That's some good foresight or luck. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I well, if I if I was that smart, I'd have had him on more than more than uh, one or two teams. Um, Nayla was an injury guy. It was more. He had uh, he had the skills, but he had a, a really bad leg injury. I think when we were drafting, and it was uncertain when he'd be back. But so I, he would not be someone I would have taken in a fab league. But in in a DC league, I can easily stash a fiftieth round pick. Um, so that that was just thinking there. Um, yeah, if you talk to some of the other players that do really well in these DCs, and I have had the opportunity to do that they wouldn't even be close to sniffing a prospect in single A or a high A um, in these DCs. Like it's just like off their radar. Whereas um, like you, obviously you're somebody that would, would do that. And you, I guess you scour the whole minor leagues. Casey Chaw's another guy that's really good at doing that. Um, he's on, he's on the minor league guys more so than others. Like um, we talked about Chaw and Tyler Jung. I think Tyler's a lot more like inclined to just take like the, the veteran guys where Cha will, will sort of mine the miners and be very good at pegging some of these guys. And it looks like Michael Harris is one of them. So that's, that's got my attention that yeah. you did that. Look, I'm, yeah, I'm, I think that was more the, more the exception than the norm for me. I'm probably uh, drafting style probably closer to Tyler. I, I tend to draft uh, boring, at least high, but, um, but yeah, in the later rounds, it's, it's a lot easier to take shots. Yeah, you don't really have anyone that hasn't played much this draft. Yeah. Well, except round 13. I did cave into a urge. <laughs> oh yeah. I got I got him in the other draft that I did with um with Mike Mo. We 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 we've done two already. So I did, I did get him as well. And I got yeah. I got your I got your round 14 pick too. Oh, okay. Yeah, another both, guy I like. I got both those guys. Yeah, so I like. That I, too. I mean, I don't mind you. I mean, and, and I got talking about Grayson Rodriguez and uh, well, maybe Oscar. I don't want to. Maybe I don't want to talk about. Him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. It's, no, it's okay. We can. <laughs> I don't care. It's fine. Um. Oh, I got a lot of the same players. Oh shit. I'm gonna show you my other team. Uh, where is it? Here it is. This is my other team. You can start. Start here in round 15. Boom, boom. Yeah. Boom. Um. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Nice. You got yeah, they uh the your round thirty-five price is a hell of a price on him. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, what else? This is why I'm this is why I'm annoyed at my other draft. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. No, we did this draft first, so I wasn't copying you. So kind of, it kind of makes me feel good that I have a lot of the same picks as you do. Crazy price on Mankata yeah. here, eh? Even though he sucks. Yeah. No, that's the. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not crazy about him as a player, but at, at that price, that's uh, it's it's worth gambling on a uh, a rebound. Yeah, around twenty. Can't get much worse, right? No, he was awful. He was actually okay at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, where where we pull up? Is this a draft we're in? Oh, I'm in the. Got so many tabs open. I'm on the I'm on the clock. There's my alarm to make sure my 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 rosters are set. Where the fuck am I? I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. Here. For, 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 the, for the listener, just seeing Zach's screen with all the tabs, uh, <laughs> I'll say O N T H or draft. It is freaking <laughs> impressive. I have to say, it's, just <laughs> it's, it's only, it's it's only October, and I proclaim to never do um yeah, drafts again. This I didn't is fucked really up. Really believe that, but uh, hey, all listen, right, all it, right. If you do it, then go for it. Uh, okay, what else we got to talk about? Um, all right, let's. I want to talk about coming back uh, in leagues um, because you talked about you were like 45 points behind and let's try and wrap this up in the next five, 10 minutes here. But um, league t- 244, which is one of your DCs. And I-, I was in with that with you, Mike, you came back. Like um, I want to say Mike Baker's DCs. I have it pulled up here. 244 weekly. Can you see this? Uh, yeah. Yep. Excel. You came back and you, it's hard to see here. But um, you were like, I don't want to say like middle of the pack, like halfway through, and then you came back and won the league. So is there something like, I see that happen a lot with good players is that they sort of just make a surge in August and September. And like, it's harder to do in DCs. And um, there's some DCs where I, I was able to make a surge and come back just because I don't know if it was just this year, whereas like certain players, if like, I had teams that had Andres Jimenez and Marcus Semien on the team, and they were so bad in the first. They were so bad in relative to the second half and the first half. Like even at Brendan Rodgers, who was hitting like a buck twenty in the first month, and then he just went berserk. And Bobichet and other guys who just like if you had a bunch of those guys that just had great second halves, like your team could really make a surge. And I felt like I don't know, like I haven't, I haven't been playing for as long as you have. Is this is this commonplace or is this some is this something that was um, not as common like you guys made that huge comeback in the main this 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 dc of yours you made a big comeback in um what do you think um yeah i I don't know um i couldn't really say i don't think there's anything special about that team i just got hot i guess um yeah all right well that's if that if, if, if it's if that if it is what it is then that's what it is um yeah Another thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm just sort of to fly through the last part of the agenda here is diversification. I noticed that like your player shares, I'll pull up your player shares page. I did like a pivot table here. Um, where is it? Am I missing in here? Anyways, my question is like you didn't you didn't seem to have anyone of your 11, 11 DCs more than three times if they were like a top ten round pick. Do you purposely diversify? Because you were asking me about that. I I do at, at least in the um, the early rounds. I try to diversify. I don't 
I don't have any like hard and fast rules, especially for DCs because it's it, it's smaller entry fees. Um, so I, I'm actually more careful about diversification in my bigger leagues. But um, but yeah, I do try to mix it up. I I think maybe part of it, honestly, is that a lot of the DCs, you know, they tend to follow a certain formula once the ADP is out and settled. And um, I make a conscious effort in DCs to try to draft from all over the place because it, you know, I, I love doing them and I'm obviously trying to, to win everyone I'm in, but part of it is really just prep for the bigger drafts and getting a feel for the player pool and stuff like that. And so I like to make sure for DCs that I, I have some early picks, some middle picks and some late picks. And um, that probably necessitates a certain amount of diversification. All right, cool. Um, before, I, I think we're, I'm going to be on the clock soon in our Rob draft. And um, we'll talk about, I'm, I, I, am I? Yes. Who did, who did uh, Fish take? Uh, O'Neill Cruz. <laughs> Fuck Ryan Venancio. You, he wanted, uh, you wanted him so badly. Um, actually, there's just, there's just so many players there that, that should not be available. Yeah, point, well, you gotta remember we did it in August. I think we, I think probably every team has like at least one pick they want back. But I know, I, I don't know if I would do much over again. But I'm, oh, here, here we go. I'm on the clock here. Ah, I, mean, I should probably make this pick before just to get the, just to get this going. So, um, I know this, this is awesome. I, I am pumped to see this pick. This is. This is what I'm looking for here. I love. So I don't have much. a. I'm lucky. I don't have a queue here. There's a, there's there's about three or four or five players that just like I feel like, like should not be there because there's some picks in this draft that if it happened now are just like no way they should have been taken. Um. I can. I know yeah. I got like five or six guys I'd be thrilled with that I I I'm ninth in this round so. Yeah. Kind of curious if I, I get any of them. I know that the guy that's sort of top of my list is not a guy that you probably are going to take based on your team build. Um, however, it's so annoying because I know that everyone on my list is going to be gone by the time he, yeah, they get back to me. So it's like, which yeah. one? I got to draw a line in the sand. And hmm. Sometimes, like, I feel like, okay, so I've started Witt Jr., Alcantara, Altuve, Tatis, Trout in the fifth, Valdez, MJ Melendez. So I feel like getting Tatis and Trout in four and five, I better not fuck this up. <laughs> because I feel like, I, I really like my draft so far. I feel like Bobby Witt's a big value. I feel like well, Tatis. Yeah, and we did, th we did this draft, I think, uh, it was like shortly after the news of Trout's back issues and uh, kudos to you for having the guts to um, take him. I think it was, I think this happened right after. Yeah, this he, is when he was, was hurt at the time. And Yep, he was hurt. This is like in July, I think. And no, like we didn't really know what was going to happen to him. But I think at the fifth round, I, I, I'm always, I was surprised that he didn't go. Um, So there's a lot of good players here that, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good players. I, I feel like this draft is it's sort of fucked up, but I think I'm going to have to go with. I feel like I have a good chance to to win something with this draft, and I don't want to. 
let this slip away. And it's not my favorite pick. It's not the best player available, but it's going to be the best for my team. It's going to be Camilo Duvall. Yep, he was on my uh, short list too. Oh, was he? I didn't think you were going to take him yes. because you already had a closer. Yeah, I know. But in these in these uh, DCs, if you can grab a second one uh, now, it's probably worth it. Uh, I have some guys I like more than him, but he um, he was on the, the short list. Oh, there's definitely guys that, like, if I was drafting in the fifth round, I would take over him right now, or, like, the seventh round. Yeah. If I had a closer already, I would definitely be moving in a different direction, but he was definitely the top no, closer that, on the board. That's that's the right pick for your team. I mean, you I, I five, think so. You had five hitters and two pitchers, no closers, and he's – um, and I, I think he's far and away the – Best skilled known closer left. I agree. That's why I took him. So, um, Mark, I know we're running a bit long, but I wanted to talk to you about auctions, and I don't, I don't want to leave that out. So, I know you wanted to talk about that, and it's something that we don't really talk about a lot on, on any podcast. Um, where do you want to start with this? I'll let you. I'll let you run with it. Like, what question do you want to start off with? Because we have a yeah. bunch on the agenda. Which one do you think yeah. is the best question to start with? Yeah, and this. You know, I think you have your, uh, you know, a complete pod on this. Yeah, I just think. You know, for both baseball and football, there's not a ton of auction content out there. I think the three of us, you know, all can agree we love auctions. Um, uh, They're the best. I, lo- is, I love them. Yeah. I, I would I would do all auctions instead of if if I could do auctions, I would do 100 percent auctions and no snake drafts. It's just the demand. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's a fun. You know, um, these are all really good questions. Um, I just think the, the one thing I want to talk about, and it's, it's maybe it's a little arcane topic, but it's just kind of money management. And I think it's something that you just never hear about. You know, you hear you can get your guys, you know, um, um, stars and scrubs, you know, balance and you know, all that kind of stuff. But to me, I think a very underrated aspect that you that you don't really consider in snake drafts that I think you have to is is, you know, how do you budget your money before the draft and then how do you uh, manage it within? And I think, it, I think it covers a bunch of your questions here, Zach. Like, so you ask, do you spend money early on a big players or do you wait for values? And, you know, um, you know, guys like Jack Conn have talked about this in regard to football. You know, a lot of times some of those best buys are right away. And by value, it's like getting a guy at his, at his perceived value or his perceived price you know I, I call it retail i call it buying retail and i'm certainly open to retail spending early i think to to act to, to manage your money properly i like an early uh sizable buy or two right off the bat it kind of settles you down and it takes off the any possibility of leaving money on the table which is the absolute biggest sin you could make in an auction so <laughs> I, i'm all about uh getting a guy at retail early if i can i'm not the kind of player who's going to spend ten dollars over what i think someone is worth almost ever you know unless i really screwed up and i have to just spend money at some point just so i don't leave any on the table you know that's when i'll do that um and you know, I think that ties into your other questions about nominating guys. Like, if you think you can get someone at retail early that you really like, I'll throw that nom out. If And then you ask, like, how do you get money at the table? I think the biggest mistake people make is they throw guys out early saying, I'm getting money at the table. 
that's money that's got, that's off the table no matter when they get um, nominated. I want to throw a guy who's maybe going to go for 20 that I have for like 12. You know, like that's a guy I'll throw early. I'm not going to throw a guy early who's going for 45 no matter when he gets nominated. That doesn't make sense. I want to make every nomination count. So if there's guys in the mid-tier that I know people are like, and, you know, I'll look at AAV up into the last minute and I can tell who's trending up. That's the guy I'll nominate if I'm just off him at the price or off him for, you know, for another reason. And I'll try if I can eat that extra $8 out early. Cause those are the kind of guys that they get forgotten about and they don't get nommed till the middle, they'll go for 15 instead of 20. And, you know, you missed, you missed a chance. So that's just some nomination strategy. You know, the other thing about money management um, is, uh, you know, how do you adapt to the, like the different economies of each auction? I just like to, I really do pay attention to where I'm situated in regard to where the other teams are. So I know if I spend early, I'm obviously going to have less money, uh, you know, for, for a while there. And I'll probably lay back for a little bit and then let it come back around to me. So maybe I have the second, you know, least, uh, sorry, the second least money for the first five or six rounds. But then all of a sudden I might have the third or fourth most money. Then I like to jump back in and I like to just then keep myself kind of in the midpoint, you know, like not, not at the top, not at the bottom, but somewhere in the middle where I, I just feel comfortable that um, I'm not going to be overpaying and I'm not going to leave money on the table Probably I'm not as good at the end game as far as leaving enough uh, there. You know, um, it happened to me in football where I ended up with, you know, six or seven one dollar guys where I'd prefer like two or three. Um, so I think I have to get a little better at kind of that end game management. But I think the money management is where I see a lot of people go south in these auctions. They either just way overspend early and have just and then they're never in that midpoint or they just don't spend at all. And then they're just overpaying on every single buy. And then they'll they'll usually go out first and they'll miss some of those good dollar guys that you can get at the end of all three. Uh, me and Crawford call it like the three to like $9 dead zone. Like I don't want to have a lot of three to $9 guys. Um, I think those are the guys that you're overpaying for typically. Um, and, you know, um, try to avoid that dead zone. So that's just some of the notes I had and, and just talking about money management and how it you know fits into nominations, early, early decisions and kind of end game. Um, I don't know what you guys think about some of that, but that was, that was some of my thoughts. Mike, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with just about everything Mark said. I well, well said. Um, I think I would say in auctions that the two mistakes that I, I've made the most in the past that I've, I've, tried hard to correct is one is I, and they both deal with value too is it, not getting so hung up on the the price versus the the value you have for the guy I I want to come out of the auction with a team that I really love I got you know and maybe that means I have to pay more than I want to for a couple of guys but but I I've learned I guess I would rather I would rather overpay for guys for a couple of guys that I love that I really believe in then get two or three dollar bargains on some bigger players that I'm more ambivalent about um so that's one mistake that I I I think I used to make that I have gotten better at the other thing is 
Um, in, in the course of an auction, there's going to be a lot of bargains. And it used to really annoy me if somebody was getting a, a ridiculous bargain on a player. Yep. And I would jump in and, you know, and, you know, uh, a number of years back, Mark and I both experienced this with a Joey Votto one year where, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just every now and then, um, you know, there's going to be guys that for some reason the room is is not excited about and someone's going to get a ridiculous bargain. And you just, you know, if you don't really like that player, let them have their bargain. It, odds are it probably won't even be a bargain. But, um, you know, I, I think sometimes it would just kind of like offend me that someone was getting this player for way under value and I, I would stick my nose in and bid and um, and sometimes wind up with a player that I, I was pretty ambivalent on myself. So, um, I, you know, in addition to everything Mark said, I, I, those are the only two things that I would add that um, I've tried to make a conscious effort to get better at. And, and that's where managing your money matters, right? If you don't give yourself an opportunity to get some some bargains, quote unquote, then you're, you're not going to get them. So you have to have you have to have the, the right money management and in, in within the flow of that that specific auction, so you can give yourself an opportunity. Um, if you go out too hot, you sometimes lose that. Or if you if, if you if you start too cold, you know you could you could miss it. So if part of it's that that midpoint thing where if you give yourself that balance uh, of where your money is compared to everyone else, that's where you can swoop up some of those. But I agree. I think you know Mike and I just that goes back to what I said earlier about having a little more of an intentional fade list. We said this year, you know, we're not going to pick up, we're not going to buy a guy because he's a good price if we don't like him. And, you know, that, we, we learned that that's, that's the Joey Votto rule for us um, from a few years back. And I think we did a lot better job on that. And because um, you can you can, uh, you can get trapped into doing that um, if you're not careful. How about you, Zach? Like, what, what, what are some of your kind of guiding principles Um you know, you're obviously, you know, a uh, tremendous uh, auction player. I mean, to, I mean, we talked about like the the best, uh, you know, if you, if you finish top three again in the OLAC next year, you know, you know, the guilds is going to have to share that hall of fame jacket. I think you, uh, <laughs> do that, but you know, you're, you're also top 10 again in the, in the, uh, in the, um, in the football. Let me just actually, actually talk about online versus live auctions and whether you see, like, do you think you have more of an edge in the online one? Is it more of a volume thing for you? Like, what do you, what's, what's the difference that you've seen in, in the, in the live and the online that, that makes that that's jumped out to you? Okay. So um, let me try and tackle all these questions. So first of all, I think I like the, I like the online's a little bit more because you have that proxy bid and you can sort of, um, you can, you can sort of, um, the proxy bid's huge because it saves it saves a dollar here and there at the end because you if you you can put a proxy in at two and instead of when somebody instead of somebody going two on you you're going two on them you know what I mean I don't know if people that are listening know but well, like if somebody if somebody nominates if somebody nominates a player or if you nominate a player for a dollar if somebody goes two you have to go three whereas if you if you nominate somebody for a dollar and you put a proxy of two if they try to go two yours goes up to two on the online whereas that won't happen live um, and. That's a huge and advantage just, if, you, if you know how to work that properly. And Zach, the corollary, which, you know, I guess I'll just let it out of this pod is like, if you can, if you if it's your nomination, you could max bid two, bid one. If no one goes two, you get them for one. 
if someone goes two, you get them for two. So there's exactly it's like a free bid. Like you, you can't lose on that one. If that happens three times throughout the draft, you're now getting a four dollar player instead of a one dollar player at the end in the end game. So it's huge. Um, that's that's like the difference between Tristan McKenzie and some cuck that um you you're gonna drop. <laughs> um, so um that's uh, you talked about the online versus live. Um, I think for me, like guiding principles, I didn't really think about this. I was just gonna ask you the questions, but as you were talking, I sort of. I think there's three critical points in, in an auction. One is at the beginning because doing, uh, and this sort of hits on the on doing volume because I sort of have a cash register going off in my head, rel- like when I'm counting the dollars in my mind versus what's happened in other auctions. I've done like 10 other auctions. So I see like Bo Bichette went for 45 instead of 41 on average. So I know there's $4 off the table. And I think it's really important that like to, to note what's going on in that early part of the auction when the studs are, when mostly the studs are getting bought because you're gonna, that's going to sort of dictate how this the story is going to go in the auction. Um, are there more do- are there more dollars going off the table? Are all of them going? Or is everyone overpriced? Or is only a few of them overpriced? If everyone's overpriced, then you're going to have to over, or then you're going to have to overpay for at least one of them, or else you're going to get shut out of the top tier player if that's what you don't want. So that's one critical critical point that sort of sets the path. The next critical point is everyone's got their mid round sweethearts. Like I don't know, this year it might have been. Um, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of a player that's like everyone sort of like was hot to trot on. Like maybe it was Joe Musgrove or, or like in prior years, it was like your Gosman and your Musgrove. I'm going back two years, right. When you can get those guys from 12, 15 bucks. And those were the sweethearts. There's a, there's a point like in the middle of the auction where those, those guys could be, they, they could be values or they could be overpriced. If you've got a couple guys in the auction that sit on the money and you got like in that midpoint, you got like maybe two guys with over a hundred bucks left in their pockets at that point. You know you you're going to be tough. It's going to be tough to get those sweetheart players. So you might want to pay up for the, I don't know, like, like the um, the the players that are more just run of the mill players that like have a more uh, constant price in these auctions. I'm trying to think of an example like like this past year, like I don't know, like um, who was a player like Robbie Ray. You pretty much knew what you're getting, what he was going to go for. Whereas players that maybe were going later in a snake draft might have got pushed up. You might end up paying more for those guys in an auction because just everyone that has money left that sort of wanted them is going to pay up for them. And you just got to watch for where all the money is. If there's if if there's a if there's wide distribution of money, then you're going to really maybe not want to. You might want to plan to not get those players. And the last stage is really the end game. And you and you always want to, regardless of what you're doing in those first two stages, have money left to sort of get the better players in that end game. Like you don't want to be stuck with the $1 players. And that happens sometimes, but those are really the guiding principles uh, that no matter what, if you're working backwards, you don't want to at all costs be blowing your last $9 on one player when you have to buy like five of your pitchers. And another, another big talk, uh, another big, I guess point in these auctions compared to a snake draft is you have to auction, you have to auction every player, every position. So you need two catchers, nine pitchers. And when you're comparing it to a snake draft, those, those nine, like there could be like, what's, what's nine times 15, nine, like six times 15 is 90. 135, 135. One thir- okay. One th- 135. So if, if there's more than 135 pitchers going off in the first 23 rounds then really there's going to be really good there's going to be a better group of starting pitchers that are available in your reserve rounds so you might want to focus on getting 
and getting those relief pitchers and buying those relief pitchers with your last dollars rather than the starting pitchers. Because even those speculative closers should be prioritized in these auctions over the borderline starters. So just knowing what positions are going to go off the board and like your second catchers aren't going to go off until like the end of drafts, most most, like the end of snake drafts, whereas they have to be bought. So those catchers get pushed off in expense of like the pitchers that become values for maybe one or $2 or in reserve rounds. So it's knowing like knowing your team, like the, like the forced team construction as well is another point. Yeah, those are great principles. And yeah, and I think they all tie into money management, right? Like, and I yeah. think the best point is you have those sweethearts that you you've seen go for twelve dollars, and you and you budgeted. You know, I mean, I I do a budget, but it's it's a malleable budget. You know, like we have a pitcher hitter split that we actually adhere to pretty closely, but within that, it could it could move around because you know we. We just have a feeling of, you know, of what you need to spend to get the statistics you know, that you need. But, you know, if you have a guy pencil in for 12, but, you know, you're, you're paying attention to other people's money and you realize they're going for 15. Like there's no way they're going for 12. Too many guys have extra money and they need that position. So I'll just jump in and get a, a, another guy that I like at retail instead of, you know, waiting for that, you know, that sweetheart that's going to go for end up going for three or four dollars more. I'll get a guy for that same fifteen that I like better than you know than waiting for a twelve dollar guy that's going to ultimately go for fifteen anyway. Now I got a guy I didn't like as much because I was trying to get cute, and that's just knowing who you know who has the money left and and kind of how 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 these auctions play out. And as you said, the more you do, the more of a feel you get for those. Um, you know, I agree on the online. You know that that max bid. You know when I was in Vegas for uh, for football. Uh, I wanted to tell Brady, hey, I'm going to nom for one, but I, you know, I, I'm putting in a max bit of two, but no, he did not, they did not allow that in Vegas. So no, yeah. they don't, unfortunately. Oh, do that in the auctions. Um, we talked about our, our, our auction a little bit and just how, um, how uh, stats did so well with, um, did we ever look at his reserve players? Um, yeah, they weren't, yeah, they, they were okay. Um, you know, he had a couple, you know, he had uh, O'Neill Cruz for seven, CJ Crone for 13, but Dalton Varsho for 14. Yeah, that was huge. That, that was that's huge. a huge, huge pick. Tucker was great for 37. Springer for 18 is actually fantastic. Um, so he had a pretty, you know, he had, a, you know. Uh, the players that he hit on were great Rizzo values. Rizzo for nine too, Zach. Rizzo for nine was a huge win. I yeah. Mean, he he got hit for a good batting average, but. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, um, he did, he did well. Um, um, we talked about, we talked about this a little bit, but like in the auctions, you can be proactive attacking the values. Whereas like the snakes, you got to take what you, what, what, you, what the, the draft really gives you to an extent. Like you can, if you think somebody's a value, you can, you can reach on them around earlier than ADP and you can still exploit that value, but it's a little bit, you have to be a little bit more, you can be a little bit more proactive in the auctions. Um, and it's just about disciplining and discipline. I've had, Dusty Wagner came on the podcast two years ago and something he said stuck with me. He's like, like your team, don't love your team. And that's sort of like a piece of advice I took with me when I just took Duval. Like I would have loved to have some other players at that point, but I need to like what my team's doing rather than love the players on your team. Whereas that sort of apply, that also applies to auctions where you have to be disciplined. And like Mike, what you were saying, um, like just because somebody's getting a great value, it's the hardest thing in an auction 
Like that motherfucker is getting a, a fantastic value on this player. I already have this position, but, and I've done that before. Um, I've done that and, and it's work. It actually works sometimes. Like sometimes you get stuck with an amazing player, but um, sometimes, yeah. uh, sometimes you screw the rest of your auction. Well, yeah, that's welcome- discipline comes in. Yeah. If you, if you, if, if you blow your budget, you know, your whole strategy by doing that, it's so hard to recover. It, it really does. You know, if it's like a $4 guy, whatever, that's fine. But, you know, if it's a $14 guy and it doesn't fit the plan, I mean, again, yeah. you, have to, you, have, you have to be flexible. But at some point in the auction, the die has been cast. And if you if you do that, you then you're not going to have the team that you were planning on getting. Yeah, I mean, I think the big focus is make sure you're getting guys that you like and I mean, really, once once the season starts, you're not going to remember that you paid $2 more than AAV for this player or that you jumped him two rounds. I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't even remember where I got certain guys, you know, from the draft that, that we just finished, Zach. So, I, you know, it just doesn't get the guys you want. Um, be smart about it, but, you know, don't jump someone crazy or, or go spend way more than you should. But... Um, but don't get hung up over a dollar or two or a round or two. Right. Just don't buy players that you already, um, like I've seen people like spent, I've seen people and I've made this mistake myself. Like I already have Will Smith, but somebody like, here's a perfect example. Say you have Will Smith, you bought him for $21 or something this year. And then you see JT JT Romuto go off and like, he's at 18, 19. This motherfucker's going to get JT Romuto for more than, (laughs) for less than I got Will Smith. Fuck that. I'm going 20. And then bid stop. Yeah, now I have forty-one dollars <laughs> on two catchers, and that has happened to me, and that did happen to me this year. And um, I think I still cash in the league, but it's it, it really. And then then you're just like pulling your hair out the rest of the draft. I, I did that in in my solo auction in Vegas last year. I did that with Sal Perez. Actually, I he was not in the plan. I did want to I did want an elite catcher, but I was like, you know, I I, I saw the value of like Contreras, you know, in the twelve dollar range, and. All of a sudden, it's, not, it's like 23. Oh, I, I better bid. You know, I have him for 26. And that just that just started a really downward trajectory. And I ended up really – that's probably my worst auction ever, honestly. I, I, and that's that's one decision you made right away where you think, hey, I'm getting a bargain here at a mm-hmm. position where I want to have an elite player. But it completely just messed up my entire you know budget. And I, I don't think I ever recovered, honestly. Um like, it wasn't like psychologically, I'm like, oh, I was freaking out about it. Like, I like the player, but I never recovered because it didn't it didn't fit what I was trying to do. And I ended up, I, that's probably my worst auction team I, I, I drafted. Um, and, you know, that's a perfect example. Yep. So, anything else, guys? Um, no, thanks for having us on. No problem. Fun. Thanks. thanks. Um, I'm happy for you that the Yankees won. I'm not too thrilled myself being a Blue Jay fan, but um, um Hopefully the, the hopefully their players that I took in the postseason challenge are going to do well. That's all I can say about that. But no, hey, I mean, at, I, at least at least our at least our friend Jason Dupont gets to watch the uh, Yankees some more this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he'd love to that. Well, I guess you know what in his in in his defense, maybe like them getting knocked out in the uh, ALCS is going to be more sweet than just the DS. But who knows? Maybe. It's going to have it's going to be it's going to be a tough series with Houston. Oh yeah, yeah. Now the Houston's got to be favored. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you both. I mean, you you guys helped me through these these months because you know I won't be drafting, just be focusing exclusively on football here through the end of the year. But 
I get to live vicariously through the, the, the two of you and all the, all, all the work you do. And it actually does help me because it keeps my, my head in the game a little bit without having to do, you know, the actual work of it. So thank you for, thank you both for keeping me connected, but, you know, uh, allowing me the time to do my other love, which is fantasy football and to keep my marriage intact by not doing baseball again for another uh, bunch of months that I promised. And I will try to keep that. All right, let's keep our marriage intact by um and by ending by ending this um right, by good. ending this podcast and we can <laughs> go back and do everything. But um again, you want to um Mike, you don't have you know you don't want anyone no one you don't want anyone to find I you. Mark. On Twitter, no, I, I I have to like forward him all these tweets so we can see him. So Mike's no, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. If I'm anyone wants me, reach out to Zach or Mark. <laughs> I'm at Mark M A R C underscore Winoker W I N O K U R. If anyone wants to talk to me. Uh, but uh, appreciate Zach. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks guys. Peace out. Yep, thank you.